So I, I we're live now, and I just asked that, hey, you want to go live, and then I'll roll the video open like we did last week, and Dan says, sure, what do you want to talk about? I go, I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? Uh, like I said, I think it's the change of weather, but I, I kind of feel awful, but hopefully I sound okay. I was happy about the Thomas Jones interview. I, I thought, to me, the biggest takeaway with you and, and Greg Gabriel was that I did maybe I did know, but I didn't know. I don't I don't know if I've forgotten, but that Lovey Smith was the main proponent in getting Cedric Benson. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, actually, it was something uh, Gabriel talked about on a show uh, months ago, and uh, the guy from uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Eric Lambert from uh, Sports Mockery, wrote an article about it. It kind of pissed Greg off, and I was wondering why are you pissed off? This is pretty much what you said, and it's good advertisement for Gabriel talks football. But he was kind of he, he felt like Eric uh, misinterpreted what he said about that but yeah it was lovey's call he wanted a power back and that i mean that's another strike i like lovey you know that but it's another strike on lovey smith when you look in retrospective like he broke up his team's chemistry there yep. in a lot yeah. of ways i mean that's what i thought when i heard the announcement of the draft is that what you thought too at the time, I didn't know it was – I just thought maybe Angelo wanted him and it was kind of forced on Lovey. I didn't know Lovey was the one doing it and then putting Bob Babich in over, you know, Ron Rivera. I mean, there's a lot of things he did that kind of chipped away at his own success. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right, let's roll this video open. I like doing this – it's what's called cold open at the start of the show. It kind of gets me warmed up. There's people walking into the bar room now. We got a special announcement about a, a, a an event coming up, but let's uh, officially start the show, and then we'll get into it. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Sorry, <laughs> got the music like that. <laughs> well, so what did you think about Thomas Jones saying that the game was too big for Rex? Well, clearly, uh, translated, that means Rex choked. No doubt about it. They, but he, he, he didn't really advocate for Greasy or Orton either. Right. He, he, he was diplomatic about that. He didn't say, you know, I don't know if Greasy would have been, done a better job. He probably, you know, thought that those guys weren't practicing well and, and might not have been better. But he clearly, clearly said that Rex Grossman gro uh, choked in the biggest game of his life, the Super Bowl. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you folks out there, you barflies, you beautiful fucking barflies. It was uh, Greg Gabriel interviewed Thomas Jones uh, yesterday, and we used one of Dan's questions. Dan is so polite to uh, submit a question and also give me some talking tips. And uh, that, and and basically, the question from Dan was, if you think, do you? Well, phrase it the way you did, Dan. I was saying to him, like, do you think the Bears would have won the Super Bowl had Lovey pulled the? And I said, look, I like Rex. I'm not trying to get you to badmouth him, but what if Lovey inserted Greasy into the game in the third quarter? Would the Bears have beaten the Colts? Because yet people forget Rex. They, we were down five points when he threw that pick yeah. in the fourth quarter. It was 22-17. The Bears are a touchdown away from winning the Super Bowl. And at that point, you can't worry about anybody's feelings. You're like, dude, we're here to win a championship. And if Rex, you know, loses confidence over this, we'll work out, we'll work that shit out in the camp. So wouldn't you put Greasy in? But uh he didn't necessarily see it that way. But he did think that Rex, uh, like you said, he didn't say he choked, but he implied. <laughs> very strong implication if if you ask me and you know what uh dan i i watched that game live and i have not seen it since how many times have you looked at it mm, four or five times how can you do that man that one is one of the more painful ones just fucking painful. oh it is but it started out so fabulously with devin hester yep and then even rex threw a touchdown on musa muhammad and we were up 14-6 Mm -hmm. It just the, things went went awry. One of the things that I was pissed off about was the the fact that it was raining. Which first of all, I thought it was going to be an advantage for the Bears, but it proved not to be. Um, but it it mired, for lack of a better word of putting it, the the video image. I'm big on having good imagery when I watch a game or a movie or whatever. And did it seem to you, since you watched it almost half dozen times now? Did it seem to you like things were a little blurry and, and yeah, the cameras were you know clearly being rained on. Yeah, but still, you had a good image of it in the opening kickoff of Devin watching himself on the video board. That was awesome. It. Yeah, that, that it's hard to 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 not think at that moment, man. This is our year. Yeah, maybe we should watch that game when you're going to be in town, uh, November four, five, six, and leaving on the seventh. Maybe we should we should watch that game when we're here. You think Ginny would uh, sit through uh, us watching the game? <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> is it it's it Jenny with a G or Jenny with a J? It's with a G. Her name is Virginia, but nobody calls her that, so it's oh, Jenny okay. off of Virginia. Ginny, Ginny, I got to remember that. As opposed but, to like Jennifer, right? Well, and 
man, I've seen a couple of pictures of her. She's pretty hot, man. I'm, I might have to take her away from you. <laughs> she, she definitely is a good-looking woman. She is gorgeous. Question. So uh, do you want to, um, addressing the butterflies here, do you want to meet Dan and Jenny? Well, you're going to have an opportunity to because on Saturday, November 5th at 12 p.m. Central at a location near O'Hare Airport, and I'll be announcing that location soon, Dan Aguilar. Uh, is Mike going to be there too? Mike North has said he will be there. Oh, man. Like, for real, I'm going to be a little starstruck. Yeah, me too. Oh, that's <laughs> great. The phone, um, a number of other barroom show hosts will be there. Danny Shimon has given me a yes. Vinny Parisi has given me a yes. Neil Stopchinski has given me a yes. A number of other people are going to be there. I will be producing a commercial with all of that information information coming soon but i want everyone to put on their calendars saturday november 5th 12 o'clock in the o'hare area don't worry there will be free parking you can bowl you can play video games you can play pool there'll be drinks there'll be food you better bring some money because i'm only paying for the bar, bar if he can get jiggets to show up that would be oh can you imagine that can you oh, fucking imagine that yeah, that'd, i would really be marking out then and I'm hoping, I'm praying that Johnny Santucci will be there because that's college football day. So there's going to be a lot of gambling going yeah. on. So hopefully the Tucci will be there. I know you don't gamble, but I have to, to pay for the bill at this establishment. I, I can't gamble. Like <laughs> I pick the Bears to win every week, so I can't gamble. <laughs> I'd be bankrupt if I pay if I gambled. <laughs> I hear you, man. I I. I uh, signed up to DraftKings. I don't know. It was a year ago. My wife thinks it was two years ago, but I think it was about a year ago. I put $200 in and I'm still playing with that $200. I actually got as high as over a thousand dollars and I went as low as $5. And I started to lay some, you know, bets where you, you bet the $5 and you win like 30 cents, you know, started to build my piggy bank back up because I didn't want to go back to the bank and deposit more money. So I'm, I'm up to like $60 after that low point. Uh, but man, this gambling stuff, I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> Tooch is much better handling that pressure. Well, that's I a Mike North thing too. Yeah. I mean, and, and Mike has told me, you know, really you shouldn't gamble you know the fucking pressure you know i, I wake up in, in the middle of the night you know in the fetal position <laughs> <laughs> and you know and tooch and i have talked about that too maybe we'll talk about it when he comes in later um but it there's so much pressure when you're telling people yeah this is what i like this is what i don't like and all of a sudden people think that okay well that's gospel <laughs> they don't realize no this is just advice this isn't a sure thing, you know. There's no sure things in betting. It's pressure, bro. Well, let me advise you too. The other Dan will be in town that weekend as well, so maybe we That's can bring right. him Mr. there. Shorty and his beautiful wife. Uh, what's the name that he refers to her on the show? Um, it's Kitty, right? Kitty, right? I, I don't know if if he wants us to use our real name, um, but Kitty and uh, Mr. Shorty. I'm hoping will be there. They haven't gotten the official invite yet, but. I can't, uh, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be there. So that's going to be great, meeting them face-to-face. -face. And then we're, we'll be seated next to them for the Dolphins game. So that's And be hopefully it. you'll be seated with me at the Smashing Pumpkins. Can I throw that out there again? <laughs> we better talk about that because it's not looking good. Uh. Dan, would you consider selling those three tickets? 
I want to go. I know, but would you consider? I I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't. I mean, you I really want to be there. You haven't even thought about it, right? You haven't even thought No, about no, it. no. I don't even want to sell your ticket. Like, I want us all to be there. <laughs> I know you don't want to. I have three tickets. Like I said, I've already paid for parking. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. I, I, I One of the things that I'd like to do, because that is Saturday. Uh, that Saturday, we're going to have the event uh, where all the uh, barroom show hosts, not all of them, but many of them will get together. The barflies, hopefully, many barflies will be there. So that's going to be outstanding. And so, what I'm thinking about after that, you know, do you want to go to a concert or do you want to come here to the Aldo Cave, the Podfather Cave, whatever you want the fuck we want to call it, and do some shows and fuck around and stuff? I want to do both. I want to do both. <laughs> How do you do both? I don't know. Well, the show's not till 6 30. Yeah, Central Time. Yeah, we can't, we can't like do it's like Star Trek and all of a sudden go like this and go from O'Hare Airport to United Center. But let's talk about it off the air because I'm sure this is fucking boring. Most people. No, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, I'm not, don't don't be sorry. I brought it up, but um, I, I I want to have the absolute best weekend for you and Jenny and everyone else. Uh, so. The event that we're planning at this place, and I don't want to announce it yet because we haven't signed on the dotted line and stuff, but uh, yet, and we're having a meeting with the event planner at this establishment. But it's it looks fucking cool to be able to play, you know, bowling and video games and have some drinks and and fuck around with each other and meet Mike North and the Tooch and everybody else and Dan Aguirre and stuff. I hope we get a lot of barflies there. It should be a lot of fun. I'll be advertising it on, on Twitter and stuff. So if we can get 50 or 60 barflies there to have a good time with us, uh, that would be fucking fantastic. Well, last question, selfish for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far is that from the United Center? Just roughly. It's actually closer than my house. I mean, like if I had to take an Uber or something, is that plausible? Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a closer distance than, than it is my house and the United center are, uh, let's say the, the, the place where we're having the event is right smack in the middle. So, so it it would be cheaper, but I don't want you to take an Uber. You know, if anything, we're going to find somebody to go to the game is Mr. Shorty is not now not going to the concert. Did he tell you that? He told me that there was a chance he was going to sell his tickets, and then maybe if you didn't go, he would go with my third. Oh, uh, there you I, go. Well, I just don't, I don't want to hold him to it because it's like he's driving up the day before from Florida. It's such a long drive. But I did pay $550 for these tickets. So, I know. So I really want to go. I don't want to make anybody mad, you know. <laughs> and no, like, I- why didn't you stay? Because like I want to do shows with you. Over the weekend and stuff, but I do want to go to that show too. And where it's Billy Corgan's hometown, it feels like it's going to be a great show. Oh, I I, I totally agree. But by the way, John just put up Mrs. Tooch will drive you guys dance. So is John actually volunteering his wife to Uber drive you guys? To be a- I mean, I I appreciate the offer. I would feel uncomfortable with with my buddy's wife, though. You know. What are you, some kind of a hornball? <laughs> no, it just it would feel. I don't know. It just feels like it would. Uh, it would be inappropriate or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whoa, Foster K uh, covers. 
Foster Covers, my good buddy, says he got a DUI at Heavenly Bodies once. Heavenly Bodies is my favorite uh, titty bar in the Chicagoland area. Now, I haven't been in years, but it, uh, it I've frequented that place over a hundred times, and I'm not kidding. I am fucking not kidding because I used to work down the block. So for uh, you know, 15 years I worked down the block. So over those 15 years, I made a few trips over to Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> you you won't know this reference, and I'm not trying to be homophobic, but in the early 1990s, the WWF had a tag team called the Heavenly Bodies, and their gimmick was they were kind of like, you know, homosexual dancers. No, really. So it was. So when you said heavenly bodies, I thought, what kind of establishment are we talking about here? (laughs) (laughs) This was totally uh, girls, guys. But you know what? I actually went a couple of times with women who got lap dances from other women, and so at the end of the night, ended up going home by myself. And the women that I went to, I don't know where they went to afterwards but they didn't go with me anywhere (laughs) and the most erotic story i've ever witnessed at a bar was in 2009 when i was at this girl's birthday party and another girl came up to her and i wish i could use this line this is a quote she says bitch i want to eat your pussy (laughs) and the girl shrugged her shoulders and she was 510 511 easily and Mm -hmm. had on a skirt with no underwear whatsoever. And the other girl just started going down on her. Wow. And I watched it and I needless to say, I didn't get anything out of it except I went home and I did masturbate thinking about it moments later or probably an hour later, but yeah, it was freshly in my head though. That's happened to me a lot where nothing happened could have happened, but instead I went home and masturbated. (laughs) (laughs) There was, I was in Vegas once and we went to a, a strip club. I forgot the name of it. Um, and, uh, this woman pulls, you know, she's wearing the, uh, school, uh, girl plaid mini skirt. She lifts up her skirt and she starts inserting her middle finger into one of her two holes. I don't remember exactly if it was her asshole, (laughs) (laughs) but she's like, yeah, we can go party afterwards. And, you know, I'm like, I don't want to pay for prostitution or anything like that, but can you do that one more time? (laughs) It's like, Hey, that's a good reference to uh, John Travolta and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And what happened on that fucking date? Yeah. He had to jumpstart her heart with adrenaline <laughs> after a drug overdose. That's all we need is Mrs. Santucci <laughs> getting the wrong substance, and it would be my fault. <laughs> would be a great story. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, again, it is going to be on uh, Saturday, November 5th, Barflies. Please mark that date on your calendar and spend some time with Dan, Mike North, John Buffon. There's supposed to be a picture of John Buffon at the top above the Saturday. Where did he go? I don't it know. was just there. Oh. I saw it. Oh, there he is. <laughs> where do, where does Greg live nowadays? Greg Gabriel is out in Libertyville, which is about, uh, I want to say, 15 miles north of me. It's where Great America is. He's got a beautiful fucking home. Is there any way we can get him at this event? I'm going to invite him. I, I got a feeling he will not be able to... Uh, to go because there's he, he's dealing with a special situation and and he's asked me not to talk about it publicly oh i definitely don't want to pry yeah so he's dealing with a special situation right now and and i don't think that will be cleared up by then he's still able to do the show uh but uh there's he's got more added responsibilities around the house so 
Um, but yeah, I would love to get them out there. I mean, geez, it's going to be so much fucking fun. You're going to have guys like Dan who you can ask questions about Bears history. You, you're going to have guys like hopefully the Tooch will be there. You could ask gambling questions. You're going to have one of the greatest broadcasters in sports history, uh, Mike North. You're going to have guys. I thought you were going to say that about yourself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm just going to be there getting drunk. That's all. <laughs> hey, where's Aldo? He's over there in the corner throwing up. <laughs> it's going to be great. I'd love to meet people like Toreen, PJ, Foster, not Don Burr, uh, <laughs> CJ, uh, so many people, St. Omni, come on, get out there, man. So anyways, more details to come on that. I wanted to tease that. But what I want to get to now, because our show tonight at the 9 o'clock hour, that's 9 o'clock central, so in about uh, 40 minutes, we're going to have a guest from Football Zebras. Uh, ben, and I'm forgetting his last name right now, I don't have it right in front of me, but Ben wrote a book on NFL officiating and rules and so forth. He runs the Football Zebras website. I thought it would be fun for Dan, John, and I to ask him some questions about what's going on with officiating. I mean, we complain so much about these guys. Maybe he can give us a different uh, perspective on things, maybe bring up some plays that we were bothered by. Uh, get get the pulse I've of got three off the top of my head. Three right now. Tell me one. The one in Pittsburgh last year when the guy that's not with us anymore did like the karate kick thing. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they called uh, the taunting when he wasn't talking to anybody specifically or pointing or anything. Yep. Uh, one in Minnesota when Harrison Smith is in Darnell Mooney's face and not making a play for the ball whatsoever. His head's not even turning for the ball. No PI. And the one in Washington last week, I don't know who the guy, the defender was, but it was on third and goal at the end of the game in Pettis's face. When Pettis did drop the ball, but nevertheless, he was like bent like a fucking pretzel, and this guy was all over him. At the very least, it's illegal contact. Yeah, very least. Yeah. And I don't know if if Ben uh, from footballzebras.com is going to be able to explain those plays, but I'd like to get a co- into a conversation with him. You know, one of the things I was thinking about saying to him is, hey, I, I want to have a talk with you and hopefully humanize these officials who are, who are so often – getting blamed for things on social media and in the media and so forth. And so we can ask him why all the officials seem to suck up to the Packers. <laughs> you should ask that. That should be <laughs> your first question. <laughs> God, man. It's not just me. Other teams feel that way too. Oh, fucking a, because there seems to be a uh, proclivity for officials and all sports to side with the superstar. It happened. You know, I mean, how many times have I heard you, Dan Aguirre, complain about the calls Michael Jordan used to get? Well, the one I always reference is against in 98 with the game-winning shot on Russell. Now, keep in mind, I was going for the Bulls, so it's not like – but still, watching it, he pushed off, man. And if that's anybody else, that's, a, that's an offensive foul. I don't think you can say for any certainty based on that replay that he pushed them in any significant way. They threw him on the floor, man, like for real. Like, well, well, maybe that was a flop, but I, I just didn't see that force. What you got to look at is the elbow. Does the elbow straighten up? And and he didn't. You know, if anything, he may have gone like that with shoulder. But be that as it may, looking forward to uh, talking with Ben. And I apologize, Ben. I don't have your last name right in front of me. Um. It's Ben right. Roethlisberger. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but for these next 30 minutes or so, Dan, I want to talk about Justin Fields because I'm beginning to get worried. You know, yes, 
It's early. Yes, there's all these all this shit. But I, I, first of all, I want to say this, Dan. Dan, I'm almost afraid to go on social media and say anything negative about Justin Fields because I would feel like a Republican complaining about Donald Trump and <laughs> getting MAGA people all up my ass on stuff. You know, I, I read some of the stuff. Like there was a guy uh, from ESPN Analytics who wrote some who posted some stats about how much time the offensive line has actually been doing a fairly decent job, ranked eighth in pass protection and winning in pass blocking uh, uh, reps. And so the fucking vitriol this guy faced. Well, can I contradict that guy with the stats that David Kaplan used the other day? Okay. And we all like David Kaplan, right? Kaplan. Been on the show. Uh, It's a segment he did on TV for NBC Sports Chicago. It wasn't his radio show. And he was sorting out some statistics, and he was defending Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. He said Braxton Jones has given up 20 pressures on the year at left tackle, the second amongst tackles in the NFL. Lucas Patrick's given up 16, second most than any guard in the NFL. And Sam Mustafer had given up more pressures than any other center Mm -hmm. in the National Football League. And furthermore, Fields has received pressure on 46% of his dropbacks in the first six games, which is the most any quarterback has ever faced since that statistic was created 16 years ago. Hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, that's part of the issue. And, and, And so today... I was looking at some video, you know, there's video of uh, uh, the all 22 and I'm trying to study that this stuff. And I, I'm no fucking I'm not a, uh, a Berlissimo or any of these other guys that look at tape. Uh, Phil Atoshin, uh Danny Shimon is one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the best tape evaluators out there. Those three guys that I mentioned are, are, are above average. I'm, I'm not that guy, but what I am seeing on, on some of this tape is Justin is just not pulling the trigger. So I was prepared to come on here and talk about, you know, him not pulling the trigger. And I decided, you know what, let me take a look at what Kurt Warner says about Justin Fields. It means we're going to motion this guy over here. We're going to have one, two, three, and four. We're going to have four guys to the strong side. What we're trying to do is get the defense to push to that side and get a one-on-one to our backside. If we don't get a one-on-one, if they leave somebody else back here, drop a safety down, leave this backer over here, then we're going to read the concept to the front side. Okay, so here you're going to watch the motion. You're going to see the defense pushes over to that hash, and we're going to run a slant right here. Eyes are right there. He sees that guy. He comes to the backside. Throw it. Throw it. Can't hesitate. Throw it. Got to be out, okay? Your drop's got to be quicker. You got to stick it. You got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. That's the window, okay? It's a big enough window. We've got to let this ball go. We've got to anticipate, especially because we decided to go to this side. It's going to be really hard to get back to the other side and find something. So once you choose this side, you've got to get yourself ready and rip the throw. There's the little window. Anticipate. Let it go. Instead, here we go again, right? Hesitate on the throw. Now you got to try to create hard to create every time. Now that's just one example, but as I looked at, and you really need to take a look at this video that was, was released by Kurt Warner on his YouTube uh, page, because it really is fascinating. And he doesn't just blame Justin Fields. He blames everybody on the team, coaching staff, 
players and Justin Fields. But again, here we get to that that the overall theme. You got to fucking pull the trigger. Here, here's another one. We've got double slants to this side. Good read. Anytime we get too high or anytime we get one defender inside, one defender inside, we like to go to that side. Okay, we'd like to go to that side. So reading this guy, this guy stops his feet. As soon as he stops his feet, let it go. Let it go outside. You know that you got him, let it go. Let it go. Pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. Gotta let it go right here. Gotta throw the football. That's as big a window as you're going to get right there, but you have to see it beforehand. You gotta know when it's gotta be thrown and you gotta let it go. He's looking over here. He's got that back foot planted. Let the ball go. Hesitates again. Comes a fumble. When he had the option, he's looking right at it, but for some reason, he's hesitating instead of pulling the trigger. So, again, this is about Justin Fields' inexperience. His level of playing at the pro game is just not giving him the confidence to, <laughs> as I love the way Kurt Warner says, let it go, let it go, pull the trigger, let it go, let it go, pull the trigger. Um, here's another one, and like I said earlier, this is, he's not just blaming Justin Fields. Take a look at this one. He's got two shots where he hasn't pulled the trigger on this big end, okay? You said it, you got to pull the trigger, got to let it go. Now here we are in a big third down situation, and let's it go. Great job, step in, throw it, hits the guy in the face mask, catch it. Got to catch it, okay? Everybody takes their turn. Got to catch these balls. Good job by Justin Fields. Good anticipation. Good throw. Drops it. Got to make these catches, okay? Got to make them. And it's not all bad, Dan. Comes back on this one. He pulls the trigger, okay? Seam, seam, what we call a semi, and a semi. Sees corner off. Puts the back foot in the ground. Boom. Ball's out. Love it. Love it. Do it. See it. Know what you want. Pull the trigger. So when he when he's able to drop back, and it's not really a read for him. In other words, he's saying, is my first guy or my alert open? Yes, I've got off coverage right here. I've got a soft window. I can put my foot in the ground and throw it. This is when he has his most success. When he knows it, and he knows where he's seeing, and he's not reading or hesitating on anything, back foot in the ground, let it go, nice throw, boom, we're going. We've seen a couple of these in the game. I just want to see it every time. Dan, these things are correctable. They're correctable. But what worries me is we see a fucking, what, fourth-round draft pick for the Patriots, Benjamin Zappi, come in and throw for 300 yards. He's not yeah. reluctant to pull the trigger. That's coaching, too. It's coaching, too. And I was actually – I was going to lift some more. There was a couple of plays uh, where they they would throw – one, one play in particular, they have trips left, three wide receivers to the left, and all of them are going over the middle, and it just creates this fucking beehive where there's no way, no way at all Justin Fields could find an open guy. But that wasn't his supposed first read. His first read was David Montgomery coming out of the backfield and then going to the left, and he was going to throw him a soft pass, but the linebacker read the play. So his he didn't have a second option, not with that beehive of three receivers all going over the middle, and Kurt Warner then blamed the play calling on that one. So he said it's not 
just Justin Fields. It's also the play calling. It's also the wide receivers dropping passes. And he also detected wide receivers running patterns that probably weren't incorrect. So it's everything right now. And so when um, Matt Eberflus goes to the media and says, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's everything. He's right. He, it's everything. This is, this is Eberflus earlier today. Yeah, just like we've been saying, and I think he's been improving on it. You know, it's it's his it's his footwork and the timing, and uh, we think he's doing a good job of that. Um, we did a, a few different things last time uh, in the last game. I think that that helped him, um, and uh, so we're just looking forward to doing some more of that and uh, going through this process. Did you find a lot in your evaluation of him? Did you find a lot of issues around him in which you guys, either through coaching or or personnel, are not helping him enough? Yeah, I mean, you always got to look at you know each play, you know, and say, okay, was that a function of what was that a function of? The execution was good because of this, or the execution broke down because of that. So I think you always have to look at that on all sides of the ball. Um, and uh, are we, you know, do we maximize our guys? Are we put our guys in position to make plays on both sides of the ball? You know, are we are we doing those in special teams? You know, and we're looking at all those things right now teach a quarterback to get rid of the ball faster in season when for six games they've been used to doing something one way. How, is it possible to do that in season? I think so. Yeah, I think you can make small incremental improvements You know, as you go. I think it's uh, with anybody. I think you can learn to uh, you know, read your keys and, and see you know, what the coverages are uh, faster. I think you can identify that pre-snap, post-snap a little bit faster, and I think uh, you can do that. Dan, anything there stick out to you? No, I just, I, I just feel again. I mean, not to ignore Eberflus's press conference. I just, it, we're so close to being four and two, and four and two and two and four. Just, it's a huge difference. I mean, for your season, and it just feels like we've had opportunities to win these games, and it's so depressing that we didn't. That's all I keep thinking. Maybe I should be focusing stronger on what Eberflus is saying, but. Just keep here, keep thinking in my head, like, God, this could be so much better if we didn't have two fumbled punt returns and a fumble by a wide receiver. I mean, where would we be? Maybe you could be five and one. See, that's the thing, though, is one of the lines in the our, our show opening that I really, really mean when I say the one that I shit it on my pants with the Greg Latta thing. I, I'm not, I don't even know if that really happened. <laughs> <laughs> But the one that really sticks in my crawl is there have been many times that the Chicago Bears have won games and I felt fucking miserable afterwards because I knew that the effort or the talent or the coaching or lots of other factors just wasn't good enough to be an elite football team. You know, like right now, this is one of those seasons where it's fucking – parody, mediocrity, whatever you want to fucking call it. There's only two, three, four really good teams in the NFL, and the Bears are far from that, and that bugs me. I want our team to be the best. I am spoiled by the 1985 season where I fucking knew that we were the best. We had the best defense maybe of all time. We had 10, maybe 11 players that should have gone to the Pro Bowl. You know, it was, I want that again. I want dominance. I want to be able to stomp on our opponents and make them fucking fear us. That's what I want. And we're so far from that. I honestly, not to change the subject of the defense being intimidating. 
I feel like a change has to be made, even if it's changed just to be changed sake. I mean, they can't come out on Monday night next week, six days from today with the same five guys at, at offensive line. I mean, if they do, they're just saying, we don't give a shit. We really don't care this year. We don't care if number one gets hurt. We, we just don't care. I went on a rant about this last week. I mean, there's some guys on the team that this may be their only chance to be professionals. You know, they always say you got three, three and a half years, and this might be somebody, this might be like someone like Vildor's last chance, as an example. So you're going to look, I don't mean to pick on Vildor, but you can't look in that guy's eyes and say, we're not trying to win. We're not trying to win. And like, if these guys are just, just fucking up and fucking up and they're getting in the Washington game, Fields is picking himself off the turf every fucking play, even from the front, he's doing push ups to get up. Yeah, essentially but that may not be his that may not be the offensive line's fault you know it's like um uh, kurt warner showed in the tape he is holding on to the ball uh, i concur yeah. with that i agree it's it's certainly he's not blameless but when you've got sam mustafer who's given it the most pressures in in the and by far in the national football league man t- this has got to be the week lucas patrick plays center and you have somebody else play left guard you've got to make a change You've got to, you got to put, you got to take, uh, uh, fuck our third round pick that keeps fumbling. What the hell? Vel, Velas Jones. You can't have him returning punts this week. Agree. You got to have Pettis back there. Agree. Uh, and, and you may even put, uh, the third string running back. It was 31 in the preseason. He's 25 now. What's his name? Uh, help me out. Our six round pick. Um, uh, I'm sorry. He looked good in the preseason. He's looked really slow. Right now, but he started the year opening, opening the season, returning kickoffs. You might put him back there again, Ebner. Ebner, trust in Ebner. Yes, it's something like you got to just try something. You can't keep doing the same thing. What's that cliche about the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over and hoping for a different outcome. But and I and I apologize. I'm sure I've said this before, but I don't know if I've said it on this show or to you. If you're putting guys in who you know are inferior because you tape every practice and these guys, the the Brandon Schofields or whatever the fuck his name is, and and J- Jatari Carter and so forth, they're going, they're the scout team. They're going up against the starters. And if, so if you see them playing shitty, and are you are you really helping the team? Okay, let's put Carter in there. I know that he's giving up 20 sacks at the last practice. But so that's the thing. And that's what, you know, as an aside, that bugs me about what happens in social media. You got to change. You got to make changes. You got to make changes. Sometimes you can't just make changes for the sake of making changes because what you're doing is making it worse, at least in the determination of the coaches. This is, if you're going to blame anyone on this, this goes to polls to not at least bringing in some capable people to be the starters, and that's the that's the case right now. Is we, we, you know Lucas Patrick is not a guard. There's no right. fucking he can't way. keep playing guard. That's what I'm saying. He can't. He's given up the second most pressures of any guard in the NFL. So you brought him in to be a center. It's time make the move. Maybe it's not Alex Leatherwood or, or Schofield, but you got Riley sitting on the bench too. I'm not saying that. Oh well, Braxton and Jones, your career is over. But if you're giving up 20 pressures in the first six games, maybe just maybe the veteran can come in and and, and offer some stability. Mm-hmm. It, it, you got to take a look at all options, in my opinion, right now. Or you're going to get your guy hurt, and significantly hurt. And he's got to be your top 
most important, I mean, thing you have to focus on. How do we keep him upright? That's got to be on offense, the number one fucking thing other than scoring. My man, uh, Son Torres, says Jenkins at left tackle, Reef at left guard, Patrick at center, Schofield at right guard, and Borum at right tackle. Uh, you're not you're not going to get a lot of people to agree with that lineup. Um, Jenkins at left tackle seems like something that should happen in 2023 after he's had a whole preseason. But to throw him out there now, after you've been playing this fucking game of rotating him at right guard and fucking with his head and leaking to the media that he's, you know, had all these problems, you know, at practice, didn't have a good Wednesday practice and so forth. I think that you'd be just further fucking with him by putting him at left tack, tackle, the, perhaps the, the maybe not the hardest position to play, but the, a position where you need outstanding athleticism because you're going up generally against the best pass rushers. Reef at left guard, I think there's a reason why we're not seeing Reef play so far. I think there's two reasons. Number one, he hasn't played well. We saw it in preseason. Number two is that he gets paid a hell of a lot of money if he plays in 10% of the snaps, offensive snaps. Yeah, but paying Riley Reef the $10 million contract from the Chicago Bears would be like us getting paid $2 an hour to work at McDonald's. I mean, considering how much the franchise is worth, $10 million to Riley Reef doesn't mean a fucking thing, though. I mean, that's a good point. I can't argue with that. I, can't I mean, argue. I'm just saying he's there. He, you signed him for a reason. Mm-hmm. At the but. very least... I mean, yeah, he, he struggled a little bit in the preseason because he didn't play that much. Uh, I'm just saying, but that was that was seven, eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys have been struggling for six consecutive weeks in the in the in the regular season. That's just what I'm upset about. Like I said, to me, Tevin Jenkins has been the best uh, alignment that we've had. Let's put him at right guard and just leave him and see what he does. Yeah. And Steven says, Patrick deserves a shot at center. By the way, Steven, I hope you're well. Uh, miss you. Do it now. And so my my contention is, okay, so maybe they're not doing it now. Maybe his thumb is fully healed or healed enough for him to snap the ball. Maybe not, they're not doing, that, doing it now because they're just terrified as to who the replacement will be at left guard. And when they look at the tape, they've determined – you know, our second best left guard after Cody Whitehair is, is uh, and Lucas Pat uh, is Lucas Patrick, our, our second best left guard. And so, you know, it's hard to argue with that. That's got to be their rationale. It's, so it, it's fucked up, man. At Chubbs said it best <laughs> in, on Twitter today. Chubb says, "Yeah, it's all fucked up. <laughs> it really is. It's all fucked up. It's just this is the price you pay." When you're fucking rebuilding and you're fucking, you know, trying to save every nickel you can to have the most cap space for next season. And they're in the process of evaluating players. But the question is, is this fair to Justin Fields that you have not built a good offensive line to really allow him to play at a high level? You have not gotten what, you know, I mean, the wide receiver group, for the Chicago Bears is the lowest paid. They're like $5 million. All the wide receivers on the roster are making about $5 million. It's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you know, you couldn't, I mean, even bring in a guy like Josh Gordon at this point, who I've always been, you know, I don't know about that guy, you know, 
supremely talented, but man, how many chances can you give a brother? I'm I'm saying bring that motherfucker in now. He's looking for a job. Bring him in now and say, listen, every time you score a touchdown, I give you a kilo of Coke or whatever your drug preference is. <laughs> but in spite of everything we've just said, the $4.4 million for the wide receiver room, the lack of cohesiveness with the offensive line, and certainly they've had their moments run blocking, but certainly not pass blocking. And Fields, obviously, as pointed out by Kurt Warner, isn't someone that's like flawless himself. But if you put all that together, the kid has still made plays. Like against Washington, if it was with his legs, so be it. He did it. It was first and goal. We should have scored. He could have beaten the Giants. You could have beaten Minnesota. And arguably, he was in the game in the end zone against Green Bay as well. So for everything that's gone wrong, Justin has still did enough to keep us in the game. So if we could just get him better and get him more protection, maybe we win some of these borderline games. Dan, I, I totally, totally agree with you. And on Twitter, I wanted to showcase one of the positives of Justin Fields. And so I put up a graphic and a stat saying that he's on track to get 799 yards rushing this season, which would be more than any NFL quarterback had last season. And I would say 70% of the responses, and there were quite a few responses on that uh, post, were like, yeah, because he can't fucking pass. Oh, yeah, because he's running for his life. Oh, yeah, because this or that. Just negative stuff towards the, the poor guy. And it's like, right. wow. <laughs> you know, it, hey, the rushing yards account for a lot. It may not be passing yards, which is what we want most want to see of him, but the motherfucker can create offense with his legs and we should uh, appreciate that this all goes all the way back to my feelings about one of my favorite quarterbacks in the bears and it's bobby douglas and i know when i say that a lot of people are going to say yeah that fucking franchise is fucked up if that's one of all those favorite quarterbacks left-hander number 10 right yeah, exactly. He looks so cool in the all-whites, left-handed quarterback, all-whites, the cool number 10, and he's fucking bowling over linebackers to pick up extra yards and stuff. I, I grew up on that stuff, and I said, yeah, man, I want to be like him. I couldn't be, but <laughs> I wanted to be like him. So um, it counts a lot that he is creating offense with his legs, but at the same time, maybe that's hurting him because he's giving up on that second read, it's like Kurt Warner said in one of those videos, he looks at it, that first read, and if it's not there, he's putting his head down and he's taking off and he's not really, you know, making those sight adjustments quickly based on reading what the defense defenders are doing. So um, I'm a little bit worried about Justin Fields, uh, particularly when you compare him with some of the other young rookie quarterbacks that come in here I and mean, immediately make a splash he has not had a 300-yard passing day. He has not had one of those games where that you can say, wow, you know, that was almost flawless. He had a, a week ago against the Vikings. I thought he had taken a step forward, but against the Commanders, maybe he took a step back. Yeah, he missed that throw to the tight end. And I know there were some people that were saying, ah, he was running too slowly and his hips were turned the wrong way, all these kind of things. And that make me want to be like, aha, maybe it's not Fields' fault, but I'm tired of fighting the battle. I mean, most pro quarterbacks, and I'm not saying Justin isn't a pro quarterback because he's the first-round pick, 
most quarterbacks, even if it's Trubisky or anybody you thought sucked, most people are going to make that throw there. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, and- most players. I mean, even Jonathan Quinn may have made that throw. <laughs> Jesus, that's a Mike Glennon may have made that throw. That's what I'm saying. That's it was so easy. Just like Fields can make the incredible play, can make just the incredible throw. Uh, but he's got to get better at making the easy throw. Did you hit yourself in the balls? No, your comments hit me in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Quinn could have made that throw. That was a fucking kick to my balls. Well, I'm just saying Fields can do the hard things. He's got to be able to make that easy throw. I know. You know what? And and you're right. You know, it was Trent Dilfer on a tape that went viral. Uh, he was on WSCR. He does a weekly evaluation of Justin Fields. And he was the one that said that Ryan Griffin, the tight end, came off the line of scrimmage and he immediately put his belt buckle towards the line, towards the linebackers, as opposed to maintaining his belt buckle towards the end zone and running to the ball. And, and it's true, but at the same time, he did it for a split second and tried to adjust. Justin Fields still should have fucking hit him. And yeah, Fields said that too. Yeah, and he's a consummate pro when it comes to shit like that. He's going to take the blame even when he shouldn't take the blame, and Trent Dilfer said that, you know, but he but he believes that was more on the tight end than the quarterback. You know, who who are you going to fucking believe on that? Retro says all those balls rings got to, to die. To <laughs> you ever wear ball uh, ball rings on your on your testicles? No, 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 never, huh? I have no piercings, no tattoos. I I've worn a uh, a rubber thing on my testicles to delay my ejaculation. You've never done that? No, I'm surprised. Oh, never. I've never put anything where it's not supposed to be down there. What's the, what's the freakiest thing you've ever done? Like on my body? Nothing. Never? You never uh, butt plugged yourself? No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Ben Astro, the official listening to this stuff. Wait a minute. What did I book myself into? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm worried about Justin. I know, uh, and this was this started two weeks ago because Danny Shimon, who evaluated Justin and says this guy's gonna be a great quarterback, we just got to give him time, got to give him time. But he sends me a text before the last game, and he goes, "Holy shit, man! He's not he's not pulling the trigger. He's not pulling the trigger." And now fucking Kurt Warner is saying the same thing. It's like, dude, fucking pull the trigger see it and rip it man <laughs> maybe if justin could have truth serum he might say you throw the ball to dante pettis and see how many catches he's gonna make <laughs> he's got like seven drops this year like again no like that's why i was so mad about on thursday because remember in the preseason Eberflus was preaching accountability which like made me intoxicated because that's something matt nagy never did was hold anyone accountable so I thought, okay, you know, if you got a receiver that just keeps dropping balls, they're going to take him out. There was a guard or a center that gives up, you know, two people come by, blow by him every every week, the center, uh, and lets two people go free, you know, and it's just like there's no accountability here. I want the coach to say, we gave this kid a chance. Fuck, he's not playing well. And that means you, Dante Pettis. Yeah. Even though you're not a rookie, I'm just saying. So they dropped today. Uh, I, I'm glad I, ne- I never remembered how to pronounce the name. Marset Smith or Smith Marset or yeah, 
they dropped him today and oh, he was released yeah he was released wow i didn't see that so the so the, obviously that's Nikhil harry's spot coming up uh, monday night correct but they brought up somebody um it was and it wasn't Nikhil harry i'm trying to remember who it, it helped me out chat room well he was activated last week he was just a, inactive on the roster correct he's part of the 53 isaiah coulter yeah. thank you uh tooch yeah, culture has been up a few times. Yeah, and I thought he had a pretty decent free, uh, preseason and had a nice connection going on there. I don't know if, to, to be honest with you, I don't know if the connection was with Fields or the backup quarterbacks. But Do you think this is some child that Ann Coulter had and just doesn't want us to know? <laughs> I think that Ann Coulter's had a lot of childs. <laughs> Maybe she's had a number of abortions too, but that's a different well, I don't want to say that, but <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> um, so what are your feelings about this upcoming game against the new England Patriots? Because, um, you know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is you got this veteran head coach versus a Matt Eberflus, a rookie head coach. In fact, this is Eberflus talking about uh, Belichick's strengths. Well, he's able to do, uh, you know, what he's done over the course of the, of the length of his career. You know, he's take away a guy's strength and make him play left-handed. That's that's his whole motto um, of what he, he's been able to do. And we've seen it, you know, in the Super Bowls and, and seen him in playoff games do it. And even when he was D coordinator at the Giants, you know, you saw him do it there. So um, it's it's uh, been a stellar career, and he's been able to do that over the long haul. So they're going to take away Darnell Mooney, first and foremost, and David Montgomery and or uh, Justin Herbert. That's what they're going to do. They're going to focus on that, and they're going to try. That They're going to say, all right, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, all right, Dante Pettis, all right, Cole Komet, beat us. We're fucked. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that they're fucked on that because for, for, far be it for me to defend Cole Komet, but it's like he'll catch two balls in the first quarter and then there are no plays run for him the rest of the fucking game. So uh, I feels like the Bears have no idea how to utilize every player they have, so to speak, to to utilize. You know what I mean? Like that's like they're on the team. They don't know how to what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Like Komet gets two targets. He's out the rest of the game. David Montgomery, like someone said a minute ago, missed the whole third quarter. The other day, it's like, oh, well, we've got to play Khalil Herbert some, but do you have to take out Montgomery the whole third quarter to do so? It's like they, they don't know what they're doing on play calls or something. But if you want me to be cynical, I mentioned this last night on uh, the Bears Country podcast. The Bears have only beaten the Patriots one time since Super Bowl twenty. Hmm. Think about that. They played in 88. Uh, Doug Flutie had his revenge game against us. It's the last regular season start for Jim McMahon. He gets hurt. They play. They don't play again until 1994, and in that game, if the Bears win, they host a playoff game in the playoffs. Uh, not to be redundant, if and it's at Soldier Field, and if they lose, the Bears have to go on the road. They lost it on the lakefront to Drew Bledsoe, who was really good in his second year at that point, and then we went on to beat Minnesota in the wild card game. But okay, 97, Rick Meyer starts up there. What do you think happened? We lost by 205 points. <laughs> they play again in 2000. That's the time we beat them. I believe it was Shane Matthews, but we beat Drew Bledsoe in Chicago in 2000. And after that, I'll finish up real quick. Uh, Erlacher gets juked in 06. Remember that game against Tom Brady? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. 2010 in Soldier Field, snow everywhere. Big game. And we lose by, what, 36, 38 in Chicago. 2014, we go out there. 
Uh, that's the game that Lamar Houston was bragging about his sack when we were down 51-3 and blew his knee out. 2018, the last time we played him, it came down to a half a yard when Trubisky went deep to Kevin White, and he actually fucking caught it. Oh, he's tackled a half yard from the goal line. Two yards or a half yard, whatever you want to measure it. it was cool. Those are all the games since Super Bowl twenty. The Bears have won one of them well, against the, New England. Your fucking memory. We beat crazy. New England twice in 85 alone. <laughs> and I beat them in week two. And I mean, beat the fuck out of them. Well, haven't beaten them but once since. ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who I am really, really uh, uh, admiring more and more with each press conference. She has such good questions. She, she can ask questions about X's and O's and about, uh, you know, personalities and you name it. She She's really, really good. She asked this question. Uh, well, actually, I've got the video of her asking a question. So uh, Jalen Johnson was at the podium. The other day, Justin postgame was pretty frustrated, and he said he's tired of being told that this team is so close to being. 100%. What's, who's giving you the guys that message, and what is it? Like, What are they telling you, like close to being competitive, close to being a playoff team, close to being? Close to winning. Um, I mean, I thought that just comes from. Um, our staff, our coaches, um, and I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, too, they're, they're, I wouldn't say that they're lying. I wouldn't say that they're just saying it just to say it. We are doing some things better. Um, but I feel like a lot of that is really overshadowed by the loss. Um, and I feel like for us, we much rather come in here and make corrections and build on on wins, not on losses coming in. Cause I mean, just as a competitor, you give everything you got and you fall short. Um, so I mean, really, just for us, we wanna we wanna make corrections. We wanna grow after a win, not necessarily after a loss. Do you personally feel like you guys are close, or do you personally feel like you have a long way longer way to go? I mean, considering how we've been losing these last few weeks, I think we're pretty close. Um, I feel like it's just executing down the stretch. I mean, there. I mean, like any other team, there's some things to improve. But I feel like if we win these. If we won, I feel like our close games. I feel like the conversations around. Our, this team will be totally different, but I feel like we have shot ourselves in the foot um, these last few games when we have lost at the end of the game. Dan, Jalen Johnson is on your side. He's growing up, man. I remember last year, the st stuff with Nagy, for, far be it for me to defend Nagy, I was like, man, I don't know if this guy's got it, but uh, his play obviously has continued to get better. And like his, every time he talks, man, he sounds like, okay, this is a guy that's going to get another contract with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and you know, and he's basically preaching what you've been preaching is that these games are close. This team could be five and one, and right. there's a lot of ugly uh, spots on it. Still, it, it's like they're close to winning games. It's just that they're not. And as Justin Fields said at the press conference at the end of Thursday's game, it's it has a lot to do with finishing. They had three red zone opportunities on Thursday night, and they could not punch it in for a touchdown. That is the most red zone opportunities they've had all season because they've been averaging about two prior to the game. And so they get in there. Uh, this time they're moving the ball in between the 20s really fucking well, but they just couldn't get these touchdowns, whether it's Ryan Griffin slowing down or Justin Fields missing a wide open Ryan Griffin or it's poor pay play calling inside the five yard line, whatever it fucking is, it does feel like it's all correctable, but will it be? That is the big fucking question. Mike Ditka said before the old man died, 
the only time he interfered, uh, George Hallis, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and of course George Hallis wasn't asking them to get, you know, Jim McMahon, the shotgun, the way we always do with Justin Fields or Mitchell Trubisky or Andy Dalton or whomever. Uh, but Mike Ditka said that they had, you know, three or four times they, in a game, they didn't score from the goal line. Mm -hmm. And then Hallis came to him and said, do you have the quarterback sneak in your playbook? Cause if you don't, <laughs> please put it in there. And uh, Ditka said that for, from then on out, you know, he had so much respect for Hallis and giving him a second opportunity after he like mouthed off to him as a young player, oh, yeah. uh, that, you know, whatever he said was godlike to him. So the next week they go with the shotgun, they score. He's like, the old man knows what he's talking about. So yeah. you got a guy like fields at the one, if you don't think Khalil Herbert can crash in there, why not put fields on their center and just fucking give him the sneak? Yep. I, I mean, we saw Kirk cousins do it to us. That's right. Jeez. And by the way, our interview is about to start, right, with the, the guest? Uh, ben should be here any minute. He still has Can I life. call a timeout for my appearance and maybe you run a little wildcat for me to go piss? Go do it, buddy. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. All right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Aguirre is now in the urinal. I wish I had my sound effect machine up. <laughs> um, this is what I'm going to say. Uh about fields actually let me let me have matt eberflus talk about fields because they've just had this mini buy and part of the, what they did was they evaluated every player every position uh coach met with the players that they coach and they gave them like three things you've been doing right or three things that you've been doing wrong and so forth at the beginning of today's press conference matt eberflus uh spent uh, some time talking about uh justin fields yeah, just like we've been saying, and I think he's been improving on it. You know, it's it's his it's his footwork and the timing, and uh, we think he's doing a good job of that. Um, we did a, a few different things last time uh, in the last game. I think that helped, that helped him, um, and uh, so we're just looking forward to doing some more of that and uh, going through this process. Did you find a lot in your evaluation of him? Did you find a lot of issues around him in which you guys, either through coaching or or personnel, are not helping him enough? Yeah, I mean, you always got to look at you know each play, you know, and say, okay, was that a function? Of, what was that a function of? The execution was good because of this, or the execution broke down because of that. So I think you always have to look at that on all sides of the ball. Um, and uh, are we, you know, do we maximize our guys? Are we putting our guys in position to make plays on both sides of the ball? You know, are we are we doing those in special teams? You know, and we're looking at all those things right now teach a quarterback to get rid of the ball faster in season when for six games they've been used to doing something one way. How, is it possible to do that in season? I think so. Yeah, I think you can make small incremental improvements You know, as you go. I think it's uh, with anybody. I think you can learn to uh, you know, read your keys and, and see you know, what the coverages are uh, faster. I think you can identify that pre-snap, post-snap a little bit faster, and I think uh, you can do that. Well, well, let's hope that he can. You know, it was freaking funny how he answered that question. I think you can, as opposed to a more declarative, oh, well, of course you can. You know, I, I I can only read in between the lines to, you know, to what these guys are talking about. But sometimes I almost get the feeling that they're a little concerned about Justin Fields, too. And... Maybe it's just natural. You know, every every coach is going to look at his player and say, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know if he can do it. And f fucking Justin Fields is not 
as we have stated many times, he doesn't have the offensive line that's going to really help him. He doesn't have the wide receivers who are going to really help him. So he's at a disadvantage. But pulling the trigger, as Kurt Warner says, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, let it go, let it go, let it go. That's on Justin. That's not on anyone else. Okay, you can come back and say, yeah, but everything around him makes him a little hesitant, the poor pass blocking and so forth. But that's part of being an NFL quarterback is when the fucking pass blocking is still failing you, that you have the guts to stay in the pocket and try to force that ball in there, try to make the read as quickly as possible. And that's not what we're seeing out of our supposed franchise quarterback. I love this kid. I really, really want him to work out because if he doesn't, then God damn it, we're in for fucking hell. I mean, this rebuild. I was going to say the word is fucked. (laughs) (laughs) The word is fucked. Hey, can I take a piss now, too? Yeah, sure. What do you want to do while I'm away? You want to talk to Keith? I can fantasize. (laughs) We all love that. (laughs) (laughs) I can, uh, you know, I can freestyle, whatever. All right. Well, Tucci is available if you want to. I will bring on Johnny Santucci then. Johnny, I hope you're ready. Here you go. Why don't we just hear uh, a bear state of affairs if we've got a couple minutes? Oh, you want me to do bear state of affairs? I hear it's going to be a good one this week. It is going to be fire. I mean, Aldo's going to miss it, but uh, I got to do the drop, man. Uh, you missed last week. So did you go back and listen? You're talking at me? Yeah. I heard the end of it. Man, last week was fire too, though. All right. Well, I'm here little, now. I'm here now. Should I do a little bear state of affairs? I think so. All right. Here we go. The bear is so funny. All right. <laughs> Bears state of affairs. Week five. A tale of two halves. Week six, breaking all the commandments. Well, Barfies, Bears fans were once again denied their victory orgasm for a second straight week. Once again, we were brought to the brink of climax only to be denied. This game was like one of Bears fan Dan's girlfriends giving him head only to quit right before he climaxes. (laughs) Turn out the swinging light bulb. The 2022 Bears are nothing more than cock teases. I know it seems like more than five days ago that the Bears lost their third straight game, this time in front of a raucous home crowd on Thursday night football, falling to a bad Washington Commanders team 12-7. It was another game that the Bears should have won, but for a couple near misses and one costly fumble. If we're being honest, the Commanders didn't win this game. It was the Bears who lost this game. Another sign that this young team does not know how to win yet. Along the way, the Bears broke nearly all of the football gods' commandments. Thou shalt not fumble a punt inside your own 10-yard line. Thou shalt not miss wide-open receivers in the end zone. Thou shalt not quit on a route. Thou shalt not give up quarterback-killing sacks every series. Thou shalt not blow assignments. Thou shalt not miss blocks. Thou shalt not fail to score from the goal line more than once in a game. Thou shalt not allow your franchise quarterback to get his guts stomped out. But it wasn't all bad news, Barflies. From the look of it, David Montgomery's jersey was proofread before the game and edited to have that third O removed. Hey, I'm thinking maybe we should all petition the Bears to get an extra S 
placed in front of Eberflus's hit system. Yes, it's another loss, and there will be more. But you have to admire Justin Fields. He got the ever-loving crap beat out of him, left it all on the field, and still got the Bears to within mere inches of victory. I mean, the Bears were so close in this one. Closer than our resident muff lover's favorite cunt hair. Darnell Mooney was less than an <laughs> inch away from a game-winning touchdown. Honestly, this was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen a Bears quarterback give. Justin Fields, the kid is tough with a capital T. You can knock him down, but he's going to get right back just as soon as he's done doing a set of push-ups. He's going to show you that you're not going to beat him without a fight. I love that about him. Justin Fields will give it everything he has, and he will still be the subject of criticism from soft-brained Bears fans everywhere. And don't even get me started on the criticism from the national sports media. But if anyone deserves criticism, it's the Ryans. Bears GM Ryan Poles and former GM Ryan Pace. Pace for all the swings and misses and for leaving the cupboard bare. Poles for the nearly unforgivable sin of putting together a bargain basement roster capable of getting a franchise quarterback injured for life. <sighs> you want to talk about trying to be the smartest guy in the room while doing the bare minimum in your job duties? That's your current GM, Mr. Tradeback Bargain Shopper. The Bears have 10 days to figure some things out before heading to Foxborough and a date with the surging Patriots and their secret weapon, Bailey Zappi. They best figure out how to keep Justin Fields from getting killed before he can no longer do push-ups. The future depends on it. And that is Bears State of Affairs. That's why that guy, John Santucci, makes so much money as a handicapper because he knows his shit. Well done, Tucci. Here's a quick question. We all thought, well, I think we all thought that Ryan Poles was going to do something with the offensive line because we heard that he was a lineman. He knows what's up. But was he a good lineman? Do we know? Was he just a guy that was like, oh, he tried to get drafted and didn't and then got cut and, and never did shit? I don't think he ever made it out of training camp. That's going to say, roster. maybe that's why the line sucks because he's like amazed by the talent of <laughs> Sam Mustafer. Because he's so much better than what Ryan Poles used to be. But in reality, Sam Mustafer is not very good, you know? <laughs> not everybody agrees with your take. Mo Beerman says, yeah, I love him or hate him. The, the kid takes a pound. He's going to give it all he's got for your team, man. You can't deny that. That is very. He'll get up and do some fucking push ups before he gets back <laughs> on the field, man. I love that. <laughs> Come on. You haven't beat him. You haven't beat him yet. Very, very true. All right, so our All guest right. has arrived. He is backstage. I'm going to bring him in now. His uh, name is Ben. Help me pronounce your last name, please. Ostro. Ostro. <laughs> ben is the uh, president, editor, the guru of footballzebras.com, one of my favorite websites. It is the place I go to get all my information about football officials, when I post on Twitter, yeah, today's uh, referee is a professor at, at uh, Georgetown University. It's because I learned it over at, at Ben's website, footballzebras.com. I highly, highly, highly recommend it to everyone. Ben, thanks for being on the show. Oh, great. Uh, glad to be here and, and glad for all that. You, you forgot I am the Grand Poobah as well. So <laughs> I get all these titles correct here. I love it. Grand Poobah. And you are an author. Tell us about the book that you wrote uh, uh, covering NFL rules. Sure. Uh, this uh, came out in uh, 
2015. Uh, so it's about due for a rewrite. I'm working on it. Uh, but basically taking plays uh, from history, uh, you know, going way back to the 1920s, a little bit more of the uh, more modern ones as well, and just kind of dissecting how the rule is applied in a real life situation. And then applying a few what ifs to that, because it's a lot easier instead of saying quarterback A1 drops back the pass, you know, it's it's a lot easier to say, uh, you know, Jim McMahon, you know, gets back, he gets tackled and it's this far after uh, he releases the ball. And where do you enforce the um, the late hit when, it, when an interception happens? So. It, it's a little more engaging than, than dealing with, with letters and numbers, which is what the NFL rule book, and then they, they have a case book that lays out scenarios quite like this. But it, it it's a lot easier, I think, for, for the general fan to kind of connect with, with names and, and actual things that happen. And I do challenge anybody to go through and, you know, everybody that knows about what, and that's why we call it, so you think you know football. Even the most hardcore, I know every rule fan found something in there that, that they didn't realize or some little nuance that, that was part of the rules that they didn't realize. It's great stuff, Ben. And and by the way, I want to let you know that the, the way this show works is Dan Aguirre is with us. He's my co-host. He's a part of the witness protection program, so that's why we don't see his face. Those images of him are just placeholders because we really can't divulge his true. Yeah, I'm like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to get good spaghetti and I can't. No, actually, my girlfriend makes phenomenal spaghetti. I'm just anyway. Uh, and uh, Johnny, a question for Ben right off, if you want me to. If I'm stepping on your segue, I apologize. Aldo. No, I I just want to say one last sure. thing. I, I two. Two things, really. And Johnny Santucci, uh, who you saw when you first uh, joined us, uh, Ben, is going to join us in a little while. He's got a couple of questions for you. But I did want to say one thing as part of the prelude to this interview is that I want, you know, officials in the NFL are human beings. And we sometimes treat them like they're garbage, you know, and, and we amplify every bad call that they've made and rarely do we amplify one of their good calls. So what I wanted to ask you is these motherfuckers, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um, who, <laughs> go ahead, Dan. Okay. I like that. He mentioned, uh, it seemed to be referencing Jim McMahon and Charles Martin there. So that's, that's a, a cool reference, but, uh, or not good for the bears, but at least I, I, I like that he likes old football references. So going back to even the 1970s, if we were going to talk about, uh, Atkinson and Dr. Death hitting Lynn Swan. Uh, you could basically fucking clothesline wide receivers, but yet still in say 1976 face guarding was illegal. Even if I could pick you up and, and, and do a WWE move on you, it was still illegal to just throw your hands up in a wide receiver's face, not make a play for the ball 40 plus years ago. And we saw it in the Metro, whatever the Metrodome, the new Viking stadiums call, whatever it's called two weeks ago, when this, I don't know if you saw the play, but the Harrison Smith, the safety is all in Darnell Mooney's face, fully extended like he's Superman flying with his hands coming out, not looking back, not making a play for the ball, and makes contact. It's just I see these kind of plays every week. If you saw it, I'd like for you to tell me how I'm wrong that that's not a P.I. or at the very least a five-yard 
uh, illegal contact. Do you know the play I'm talking about? The first quarter? I, I do not. And that, that's one of the perils of having 10 games on at the same time. And, and, uh, you know, and we do get, oh, there was a pass interference. I'm like, yeah, we know. We got to, we got to stack up them. And, uh, you know, we don't always get to all of them. And, and particularly in situations like that, it, it's, it's hard to pick them apart unless there's like something really missing or on the flip side, if there's something really there that we see. Uh, because it's one shot. And I'll, I'll have to say, between that and uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about roughing the passer, between the two of those, I, I think those have become the toughest things to call in real time. You got one shot, you look at it, you process it in your brain, you re-rack it in your brain a little bit, and then you make that call right then and there. So you got maybe two, three seconds to really put it back together like an accident reconstructionist and see all of those elements, the contact. Was it bang, bang? Was there something coming back from the receiver? Because we'll we'll have some hand fighting. And all of those elements, did the route get cut off? All of these parts that are all moving. And meanwhile, you're trying to whole ass downfield to try and keep up with the receivers as well. So it's one of these situations where, you know, you're going to get those missed calls and yes, those tend to be those deep penalties as well. And, and I get that, but more often than not, there is some sort of restriction there. And uh, gosh, I hate to bring us back to, to when we threw that under the replay microscope, but that's really what it was. It was, it was looking at these judgments. And then if we start slowing it down, you know, you start to see more. And so maybe that little push, in real time, you, you didn't really see very much of a restric restriction. But then when you put it in slow motion, it magnifies what that action is. So it wasn't really fair to put it under replay. And I think it's one of these things that when we get to see it repeatedly, three, four angles, and it's all slowed down, if we had all those three or four angles and had them at real speed, at game speed, I don't think that we'd be able to sort out a lot of them. There are going to be those that, that do come through, and they're, they're just going to be those really obvious ones. Saints fans remind me about that all the time. But uh, it's, it's one of those things that it's a judgment call in real time. So we try not to, to dwell too much on, on the pass interference unless there's just some missing element or, you know, a really big play. All right, I got two yeah, quick follow-ups. Uh, quickly, uh, you didn't see the Smith play but if you can trust my it, conveying of how it played out, if the defender is approaching the wide receiver with his hands out in his face and does not have his head turned back looking at the ball at all, if that's exactly what happened, is that a P.I.? Well, face guarding it by itself is not a foul in the NFL. Now, we ran into a situation, and again, Lions fans will remind me of this, when uh, – when they made the playoffs and, and when they exited partially uh, due to the fact that there was a face guarding call um, that that really should not have been called. Um, the, uh, the official thought that there was contact. Uh, the one that didn't see the contact got talked out of the one that thought that he did. And unfortunately, it, it tipped the wrong way uh, for the Lions. Uh, but, yeah, you, you can put your hands in the face as long as you don't make any contact. What they do now this season especially is they're really cognizant of route cutoffs. 
you can't just plant yourself in a in a spot of the field and just wall off the receiver. Or and, and it goes both ways. I say the receiver, it's either uh the DB or the receiver. But in this case, you, you can't just like try and push them out to the outside and not make a play on the ball. If you're near catching the ball, if that's where the ball is going and you're there, you're entitled to maintain that position. But if Harrison touches the receiver, I apologize for stepping on you. I was going to say, if the safety touches the receiver while he's doing that and does not make a play for the ball, nor does not look back at the quarterback, is that in that scenario, then is that at least illegal contact? Because he never even looked back at the quarterback. He made contact and he was looking at the receiver, never made a play for the ball. Well, it'll be illegal contact if the quarterback has the ball, but if it's in the air, it has got to be a defensive pass interference. Okay. All right. And But then the other part of that defensive pass interference is significant restriction. So that's why we see all this hand fighting going on, and it's okay, and that's kind of how they see each other and kind of maintain that distance as they go along. Otherwise, you know, you get two people running, and, and they will crash into each other or tangle feet. So that's a way to kind of keep their distance a little bit. So they've recognized that you're going to have that hand fighting back and forth. But once it starts to tip towards that contact is starting to leverage an advantage or put the other one at a disadvantage, yeah, then that's that's going to raise the antenna of the deep official. And they're going to call that if, if, it's, if it's significant. One more question for you, then I'll let Aldo talk. Uh, you you referenced New Orleans. I know you meant the NFC Championship game, but as a Bears fan, it makes me think of 2017 when Zach Miller almost lost his leg catching a touchdown in the Superdome. Do you know that play? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> it was called a touchdown on the field, and then Al Riveron right. came in and said that it wasn't a touchdown. And then on Tuesday, celebrated on Twitter that he got the call right when like 99% of Americans would have said that Zach Miller caught the ball. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a bear. And they literally had to take veins from one leg into the other leg to even to save his leg, to save his life. Uh, but he caught the ball. <laughs> he caught the ball, and then Al Riveron said he didn't, so they overturned it. That yeah. one still, if I live to be 80, I'll be thinking Al Riveron needs his ass kicked because of that call. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, replay has evolved over the last 10 years. And, you know, they would look at things and say, is it disputable evidence? And eventually they started to look at it. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's the visual right there. And, uh, you know, but the, what they started to do is say, you can dispute anything. So now it, it starts to shift from that disputable, no disputable evidence to a clear and obvious. I think we're starting to let more of these things uh, stay as they're called on the field. Because the one thing is you don't want to start re-officiating the play that happened on the field. You really have to go with this is what was called in real time. Did they get it or did they not get it? And, and Zach Miller's was called a touchdown on the field. Hold, try and find this element. Uh, and then that's sort of the involvement over the course of time. And then again, yeah, when Al Riveron took over for Dean Blandino, you know, I mean, it was he was part of the replay process to begin with. But, you know, now when he's leading the department, now, now it's a whole different element. He gets to make the call. It's his interpretation that leads it. 
And I think there was a lot of bumpiness at the beginning there because that really indisputable evidence standard. So I'm glad that they kind of moved towards clear and obvious. And then you can kind of say, well, you know, it looks like a catch. It's a catch. Did you see the Miller play that Aldo showed there? Did you get to look at it? I did see he, it, yeah. He, he That was called a touchdown on the field, too. And literally ended his career, and they took the touchdown away from him. It yeah. Was just, yeah, and that, that, that's over. the final indignity there, too. Yeah, I mean, and his explanation made no sense. No sense at all. It's like whatever he said, it's like he sounded like he was drunk. <laughs> sounded like was- your grandfather arguing politics with you at, like, Thanksgiving or something. Like, it. <laughs> As well, Alvin, sometimes you get to the end of the day and, you know, you, you need a little bit to get you through the end of the day there. So. <laughs> ben, I got to ask you, are have you ever uh, uh, officiated football games? I never, I never officiated. Uh, I started becoming more interested in the rules uh, when I wrote to the NFL back in 1987. I said, uh, you know, do you have a rule book that just like what the uh, officials have? They said, send us five bucks because, of course, any chance to make a buck, they will. <laughs> they said, send five bucks, we'll ship one out to you. And so it was the same gray cover, plain book that just had all the rules up, down. And, you know, but this was not something in, you know, in the late 80s that, that was really available. Then come early 90s, they started putting them in bookstores. And so, that was starting to evolve at that particular time. Uh, I just never got the the bug to officiate. I always wish I could go back and, and get a, another shot at it. But, uh, you know, just things in life didn't line up. And, and that's a big thing about who elevates themselves in officiating. Getting that right person at that particular time to encourage that person to say, hey, you know what, have you thought about officiating? Somebody who uh, played high school ball doesn't get to to the college level. You know, something to keep them in the game after that. Or even somebody that's been at a lower level of college, you know, start to look towards keeping yourself on the field by officiating. And if you get that one person, that one mentor to reach out to you at a very specific point, you know, then you you start to breed these these good officials. Uh, Yeah. I got to tell you, Ben, uh, you need to do a weekly podcast, maybe even daily podcast to explain what is going on. We we need to talk after this show because for for one thing, I'm just fascinated by the topic because there's so many moving levers with this whole officiating thing. There's the bad cause. There's a good cause. There's a story about the officials uh, themselves, which – you, you so perfectly capture on your blog on footballzebras.com. And uh, there's just so many things that we can talk about. Mo Beerman has a great question here. How much research time did it take for you to do this book that you wrote on the NFL uh, rules? Well, I had about a year to write it. So they, they, I really had to get on my horse and, and run with it. Um, and, and being as my nature is, I'm given a deadline and I just plow it right over and just keep forging ahead. So, uh, you know, so the, the publisher was very good and, and accommodated uh, my, my procrastination and such. But, uh, but it, yeah, it was about a year and, and it was just pretty much asking people, you know, write down some things that you remember and, you know, jog your brain and 
boy, all sorts of things have come up in the in the 10 years since I wrote that. And, you know, it, there's all these little slips of paper. I, I tell you, right before the uh, the book finally went to the publisher, you know, when I, I got my manuscript finished, the, the dining room table was just littered with all these little pieces of paper. It looked like I, I was doing an abduction or something like that. It was all these scribbled notes of all sorts of games from different years and all that. So, and then, you know, somewhere down the line, after after the book's done, I find a piece of paper. You know, son of a, that could have been in the book. But so, I hear you. you know, so what we do is we save that for, for the second edition. Well, I'm really hoping that second edition comes out soon because there's just so much. I, I remember one of the officials after he retired complaining about how thick that NFL rule book is and everything that they have to remember. And he claimed it was an African-American official. You probably remember his name much faster than I can. But he said, you know, the, that the that most NFL officials probably know about 75% of the rule book because it's so big and it's always changing. And one of the things that I've been preaching for years, I, there's several things about NFL officiating that I've been preaching. One of the things is make it simpler for the officials. For instance, one foot in bounds like the college football game. I know that's going to destroy the rule book and people are going <laughs> to complain and so forth, but it's easier to determine if there's one foot in, in, in bounds as opposed to two feet in, in bounds. So my question to you, is what would you like to see happen so that it could help NFL officials call a better game? Well, you actually hit one of the uh, key points is that, you know, you're recruiting officials from the college ranks. They come up to the NFL and there's a completely new rule set. Game is faster, new rules, you know, all of those exceptions and, you know, we do cover the uh, the bowl games, and I make sure that I sit back a little bit because I don't want to bring something from Sunday into Saturday football. <laughs> and, you know, so that, that's one of those things where, you know, there's all of these, these little things, but that's what makes the college game the college game and what makes the pro game the pro game. And they shared the same rule book for the first uh, 15 years. And then eventually, you know, NFL started to split off. Thanks to George Hallis, he really spearheaded that. And then they, they started off with, okay, here are the five or six exceptions from the college rule book. And then from there, it just started to go uh, until about 1940 when they just wholesale rewrote the book. And now there's no alignment between rule three over here and rule three over here. It's a completely different rule book. And so then when you have to, start picking apart where the differences are, it's not quite that easy. Um, so, you know, one of the ways it perhaps could be easier is to more align with the college rule book, or what I would prefer is the college rule book matches up with the NFL rule book, which is my my forte. But uh, but that, there's all that disparity. And then you, you also look at at, uh, at high school and they, they have a completely different rule book as well. So there's all these little things, you know, even even fair catch kicks and all these these obscurities. But I'm trying to see if I have it within uh, how uh, if I have it within uh, reach distance, but I don't. I usually have my rule book no more than six feet away from me. 
<laughs> but, uh, I actually happen to <laughs> I actually happen to have the one from 1966 on my desk. That's what it should look um, like. That's what today's rule book should look like. That's it. <laughs> it, it really should. It, it 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 drives me nuts that they've made the job of officials so tough, and they can make it easier. Also, Ben, I believe with relying on instant replay for more and more calls. I mean, college football really does this much better. You know, they go to the official replay, and in so many circumstances, I see the replay in college football be decided within 10 to 30 seconds. In the NFL, sometimes it lasts minutes. And they don't even rely on instant replay as much as college football does. We've seen recently this argument about the roughing the passer call. It's a it's big into the headlines. We saw Tom Brady get away with a call, and and we saw uh, there was a Monday night game, I believe. I'm forgetting who it was, but the Raiders and Chiefs. The Raiders and Chiefs. Thank you, Dan. And so, what's your opinion on that? Should the NFL and Mo Beerman has this right? I've been saying this not only about NFL officiating, but the U.S. Constitution. We need a constitutional convention <laughs> and an NFL rule books convention and just rewrite the entire thing. We, we, we have so much more information. We have so much more technology. We have so many more capabilities to get it right. Let's strip it all down and get it right. Your thoughts. Well, one of the things particularly, and that's a, that's a hell of a loaded question there, but uh, <laughs> one of the things that I did notice uh, recently, and, and we were harping on it, is for replay, they really just gave like a quick bullet summary, and it was really not very robust. And I said, you know what? This needs to be split out and be a rule onto itself. You have pass, you know, forward pass is a whole rule. Replay should be an entire rule. And eventually they did, and then they got into this is, this is not. And I like the way that it's set up where it really governs lines, spots, uh, possession, touching the ball, um, all of these elements that are really objective. Um, you start getting into catch. Now it gets a little bit subjective, but the reason why we – really nailed down a process of the catch was to allow replay to look at a catch because there are very specific elements that have to come one, two, and three. You see them in real time. You're like, aha, that's a catch. That is an NFL catch. That's what I want to see. I want to see the control of the ball. I want to see two feet and I want to see him hold on to it for long enough that I know he's got a catch. In baseball, they're like, show me the ball. In football, it's do a football move, do something, hold on to it for some period of time. So what wound up happening is they wound up over-legislating it to an extent just so that it could fit within the replay compartment. Mm. And then they, they, they eased it back. They pared a lot of it down. They went back to something that was, you know, more one of these older books and, and not something, you know. And then the question was, well, is that going to be enough? What, how are they going to make a determination? And then it just really came down to, well, they're going to use their officiating sense. You don't have to be told these are the specific elements that make a catch. The catch is a catch. And when we see possession, control of the ball, 
uh, you know, two feet and that element of time, that's a catch in 1940. That's a catch in 2022. So I was glad that they kind of pared that element down. But then when you start to get into some of these things, pass interference, you know, that, that that's something that people thought the NFL sabotaged uh, when they put that under the replay microscope. To some extent, I can't say that they didn't, but it, it was really when it became part of the rules, that was something that we internally were saying, well, how is this going to work? It's not really fitting into the mold of lines and spots and where the ball is when this is touched. It doesn't fit into that into any of those compartments. It's all completely judgment. And yeah, it fell on its face. So now we bring in pass interference because we have a couple of things that, or excuse me, we bring in uh, roughing the passer because we have a couple of really high profile cases. We have one that's a straight up missed call. The referee saw an extra act that was perpetrated on, on, on the golden child of the NFL. That's <laughs> gotta be Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's processing and he's like, did he just flip him over and drive him into the ground? Well, no, he's rolling over to avoid the contact that he's supposed to avoid. And so, you know, there, see, he saw something that, that just wasn't there. In the Monday night game, there was a complicating factor of a fumble. You know, it's not explicitly written in the book, but that's one in the, in the, right in the rules. But, you know, you got to put your common sense and say, hey, you know what? He's got to go get that ball. Yes, we do want to protect the quarterback. Yes, the, pro, the quarterback is vulnerable and, and can be hit unnecessarily. But the number one objective of the game is possession. And if you're going to tell a defender, watch what you do over here while you're trying to get the ball, instead of just piling on the frigging ball, then, you know, that, that's what, you're, what everybody does. That's why they're allowed to review any fumble recovery after the whistle, because they said if they pile on the ball anyway. So you might as well just make that a reviewable element. And so in that case, you know, when you start to add these subjective things, yes, it's going to catch the Tom Brady uh, missed call. Yes, it's, it, it has an opportunity to fix that Monday night one. Although, again, there are some you know, mixed opinions on that. So even that, you might not get the satisfactory answer. You know, I'm, I'm firmly in the, in the court that the rule says, due to the circumstances of the play, and a loose ball changes the circumstances of the play. But reasonable minds can disagree on, on that interpretation. And only one really does matter, and that's this, uh, the senior vice president of officiating, Walt Anderson. Well, what I was going to ask you, and this is sort of a uh, my recall quickly, but after Super Bowl twenty six, they did away with replay following the 1991 season. And it feels like it was Phil – I was about to cause – I'm sorry. Phil Luckett, who single-handedly brought it back with yeah. the blown call on Thanksgiving Day 1998 when Bettis said heads or tails, whichever it was, and, and he claimed Detroit won the toss – and then, if my memory is correct, they, it was week 16 or 17, Seattle at the Jets, 
And Testaverde scored for the Jets, and he was like four yards short of the goal line. And look, I have no animosity toward Vinny, but he cost Dennis Erickson his job in Seattle. And and so this one man single-handedly brought back replay. And I guess that's my question to you. It feels like as a fan that whenever official an official blows a call and it's like everybody knows it, there's no accountability. They're, they're still going to get a playoff game later that season. It, it, am I wrong? Is there something the NFL does? They claim they grade them, but it feels like they can just do it with perpetuity and just keep making bad calls and nobody gives a shit except for the Bears who seem to be on the bottom end of some of those. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and again, I, and I get the frustration there. And and, and part of, of Replay's initial failure was they didn't really set up a system. You know, they, they wanted to fix errors. So as they came up, the Replay official would parachute in, make a change. And then we started to see, well, uh, this income, this, this, uh, zero yard completion was reversed to an incomplete. Well, what the hell are you looking at that for? You know, let that, let that stuff go. And, and let's, let's deal with the, with, with the big stuff here. And so it got bogged down. The equipment didn't work. The replays were not, were substandard by, you know, by what we see today. And so when we got to uh, 1999, when, when they reinstituted replay, and yes, that that the test of early play is the poster child for replay's return. Um, although I will also say that that uh, Bill Cower, who I, I think we remember at one point, he was shoving a. a oh yeah, he lost his mind after the Gordon McCarter, the referee, for twelve on the field. <laughs> twelve on the field, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Right. So guess what made its way right into that rule? Twelve on the field. So it, it's it's amazing how these things line up like that. But uh, especially when you have an influential voice there. But uh, one of the things that you're, you know, when that re-entered is, yeah, they, they threw in the challenge system and really made that that part of it. But yeah, and I understand that, you know, I mean, I think that Phil Luckett gets maligned, particularly on that uh, Thanksgiving flip, because when we played the take back, you see Bettis go to the sideline and he says to Cower, he says, I said, ha, tails. Nobody really heard that in the original broadcast. They heard what they heard, and I understand all the uproar that went with it. But he even admitted it right to the coach there on the sideline. He was trying to say, well, but I didn't say heads all the way. I just kind of got halfway and pulled it back. Well, you can't do that. you know. And, and that's why they, they changed the way they do uh, the coin flips from now. you, you got to declare it in advance and then flip it. Um, but yeah, so every year, uh, on Thanksgiving, our, our public service announcement goes out that, that at least in that case, Phil Luckett was right. You know, I, I'm not going to touch the Vinny Testaverde thing because that kind of self-corrected by bringing replay in, uh, save for Dennis Erickson. But, <laughs> um, you know, that, that's, that's one of those elements that, you know, and when you have a change like this, it's not one play that, that brings it in. Competition committee has about 10, 12 of these different plays, and they look over all this and they say, All right, well, this is what happened. We would like this not to happen. How do we get it so these 12 get in, and then these five, which we think are on the other side, don't get in? And, it, and it's all this working back and forth. There's a lot more to what the competition committee does, and it's really in, uh, intense what they do. I mean, they just they have a whole library of plays, and they just 
plunk, plunk, plunk right through them and, and go through them and craft that rule in, in a certain way. Then they'll, they'll also bring in uh, the officiating department and, and they'll help navigate about specific things. Because sometimes if you say a specific word, that's defined somewhere else. So you might bring a new meaning into what you, what you wrote in there. So that whole process, the whole sausage making, making process, which starts around the combine um, where they have in-person meetings with the competition committee, committee and all the way up through the owner's meeting. I mean, that, that's a, a very involved process. And I don't think any of the other committees that are in the NFL really operate that, that intensely. I now again, I'm I'm not saying I'm right on this. I'm just I'm asking your 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 memory here, because you know what all this shit. I'm just a, a, rev, a regular fan, is what I'm trying to say. Based upon my recollection, in '99 when they brought it back, the, this is some of my frustration. It felt like the language, and I could be wrong, is what I'm saying. I felt that the language was supposed to be quote clear and indisputable if they did an overturn, and it wasn't it timed. Initially, wasn't it like two or three minutes they had to look at it, or a minute and a half in the first couple of years that it brought back? Now you can go take a piss, to take a shower, and they're still doing a replay. But the thing I, that, again, I'm so upset about, it used to be the standard, if I'm correct, was clear and indisputable. So unless it wasn't clear and indisputable, they would stick with the call on the field. But it feels like they switch it whenever the hell they want to, even if it's clear, if it's not clear and indisputable. Well, we're mixing up a couple of terms. We, we started okay. with indisputable, and then we moved towards clear and obvious. And clear and obvious is more of the, I see a catch, whereas under the indisputable, you say, well, yeah, he caught it, but maybe his hand's not underneath it all the way. Well, like I the can see manual his hand's play. right here. So I'm really assuming that the fingers attached to the hand are underneath the ball. And... So they, they kind of got into these weird uh, uh, ends where they, you know, they, 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 they trip over their own feet and they would start to say, well, it really can't exactly tell if, if his hands are. And sometimes you just have to say, look, from all intents, from all angles here, it, we have a catch. And unless we see something that really throws us the other direction, we're going to stay with what's on the field. And, you know, that really has always been at the core of it. Stay with the call on the field until there's reason not to stay with the call on the field. So in some cases, yeah, you might have a wrong call on the field and you might have replay where it gets screened out or, or they just don't have the best angle on it. And, you know, you don't get the overturn or, or it might be something that, that falls outside of the purview of replay. And, and you can't fix it. You know, a, a, a clear, obvious jersey tug. Well, we would like to have called DPI on that. Well, you know, it, it was missed because it was on the other side, you know, that the, the official that was covering it was screened and he couldn't see behind the, the receiver to see that tug. So, you know, that's going to happen. And, and that's part of what they've, the competition committee has determined is, you know, how far do we go? Do we accept some of these? And know that there's going to be some outliers, but that in the general sense, this is all going to, you know, play out in the wash. And, you know, and, and time and time again, they keep coming back to it. And I, I say it now, and, you know, I, I hate to be in the prediction business because it, it does come and bite you in the ass and then you're wrong. But you see these things where um, 
you have uh, this, this blip with uh, roughing the passer. I really don't think that we're going to be talking about it in week 10, week 15. I, I, we're going to be talking about it at the end of the season. The competition committee will spend five minutes on it, 10 minutes on it. Do we get it? Yeah, we're good. Just go through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to roll anything back in that, but they're going to acknowledge that, yeah, okay, well, there are some things missed. Well, could we have trained them differently? Could we have done something anywhere different in there? And in some cases, it's just like, you know what? They saw what they saw with one shot. If they had the benefit of watching it a second time, maybe they changed their mind. But that's going to correct two calls out of the year and not not touch any of the other multiple roughing the passer calls we have during the year. I got to tell you, this is one of my most favorite interviews of I've been doing this since 2014. And this is one of my favorite interviews because the topic of officiating is so it's such a passionate topic with football fans, with myself. I've been very, very critical of officials through my Baru Network uh, Twitter account. And I also want to be fair minded with uh, of officials because I know they're human beings and I know they're trying the best and so forth. So I got to ask you, Ben, is the NFL doing right by officials given that they're not hiring them full time? I believe that it should be a 40 to 68 hour a week job. So what do they do outside the three hours on Sunday that they're spending on the football field? They should be evaluating tape. They should be consulting with one another. They should be having meetings with the crew people who are working that game so that they can talk about tendencies from the other team so that they can maybe even talk to head coaches and stuff and find out, you know, are you running anything special that we should be aware of? Or I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's a good idea, but just off the top of my head, what do you think that the NFL can do to help? better the officiating in, in pro, pro games? Well, I can tell you 100% that every official does every single thing on that list during the week, absolutely. And mm -hmm. even down to the level of what is their tendency? Yes, we see that, uh, uh, you know, Clay Matthews lowers the boom too much. We've got to watch that. He's going to try and trick us into, oh, I braced myself when really I just did like the Superman thing and, and really just lowered my belly on him. And, you know, one of the things that wound up happening that first season where they tightened up the rules is, you know, he got out in front of, of the league and then they were like, da, 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 and just trying to figure out how to catch up. And the, uh, the linebackers were making them look ridiculous because they couldn't explain things in clear terms. Every single player saw the video in the preseason that said, this is what we're going to call. This is what we're not going to call. This is the type of hit we want. This is what we don't want. The ones that were more successful were such as, uh, I throw this out as an example, but others were, were following the same uh, thing as, as Pete Carroll. He says, when you hit the quarterback, you're not going to hit him. You're going to wrap him up and twist him. When you wrap him up and twist him, you're not going to apply that that roughing the passer uh, type hit, and you're going to be able to roll over him. And so I, I didn't really run the numbers to see how, how that worked out, but we weren't hearing a lot from the teams that, that 
that uh, taught that that method of wrapping up, pulling, and twisting. Get the legs out from from the person, you know, from the from the uh, the ball carrier, because if they don't have their legs, they're not going anywhere. So that went to their benefit. And then there are others that are just like, I'm going to make this hit and I'm going to follow through. Now the rule came about because, you know, I mean, obviously these contracts for quarterbacks are going up and up and up and owners are saying, this is where my money is invested. A considerable amount of money is being invested. I don't need, you know, some rookie fat back, coming in and, and taking out my whole franchise there. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of those things where they said, you know, we have to do more to protect the quarterback because we just have way too much invested in it. And, of course, wherever the money is, that's where things happen. So that's, you know, we also talk about how they do things to shorten the game. You know, they're like, oh, well, we could shave 90 seconds off of a game if we if we change this procedure. Well, that's TV money. TV money talks. But they get back to these these hits on the quarterback. And, uh, you know, when they were formulating these rules, they had, you know, former players. And, you know, they were describing some of the tactics that, you know, it just sets the, the hair on the back of your neck on end. They're saying that, yeah, well, yeah, I get that one step. So I'm going to take that, but I'm also, I'm going to put my face mask right here. I'm going to try and crack some ribs or I'm going to try and crack that chest plate. And you're like, all right, well, we know it's a rough game and all that, but you, when you hear it in words, you're like, <laughs> it, it gets you, it, it sets you back a little bit and you, you, you feel it tingle up your spine. And I think that's what wound up happening with the competition committee and the owners. They said, you know, they're doing these things and we don't want them to do it. We don't want them to just throw 350 pounds right on top of a guy that's just standing stationary in the backfield, not even running to, you know, to try and mitigate any of that. You know, we can't do that to, to our big investment in the franchise. We just can't do that and, and continue to have these, these punishing hits happen. What it does do is it then enters a lot of error into the equation. And like I said, how do you say, well, this is a brace and this was not, you know, and, and it's one shot and you got to look at that. And I think when they get a clear look, they're, they're pretty good at it. And they've even brought the umpire in. The umpire usually doesn't touch anything with the quarterback. He's watching holding. Now what they're saying is, all right, watch the hold. But when you see a guy streak in, just steal a glance at the quarterback. Make sure that, you know, so that way, you know, the, the, the referee's going to have, he's not going to have 360. And between the two of you, you're not going to have 360, but at least we'll have more angles covered. So now you've got the umpire looking in one way, you have the referee looking in the other way. I mean, you used to have the umpire behind the defensive line. They might have been able to see something different from that angle, but you know, that, that has come and gone for the NFL, but you know, they are trying ways to, to improve it at all stages. Um, it's just not fast enough. I don't think for, for fans, they're seeing some of these things bleed through. And, you know, then when you have ones that are just flat out missed calls, it really just kind of sets things back because that has nothing to do with any kind of equation 
of what roughing the passer is, it, it really kind of distorts the discussion when we're really trying to hit some of these really important ones where quarterbacks are going out for the whole season. Um, and, and so that's, that's part of what has been worked on repeatedly. They keep going through the season. They don't change the interpretation, but they are all every week. They're given a tape and they go over this. And so you say 40 hours a week, I'd say they put 50. It really is a full-time job and it's not given its due. The problem is about making full-time officials There's several parts to it, but you know, the NFL is the one league that doesn't have a, uh, it has a shorter season than the off season. The off season's longer. All the other sports, the season is longer than the off season. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, what do you do with the officials once, uh, you know, once February rolls around? Well, you know, you can have them watch film and, you know, they're not watching a three hour game. They're just watching every play. They, they're they, they, all the in-between stuff is, is all edited out. You can bang out a game in an hour and a half. Okay. We could probably get the entire season. I can probably review the entire season in two weeks. So now we're up to maybe, you know, just close to March. Now what do you do? And they do clinics and they do uh, things with, with other officials that are up and coming. Um, you know, there's all these officiating camps from coast to coast. Um, so, and, and they do take parts in those. Um, there's all sorts of mentoring that goes along with that. Um, I'd like to see a few of them get more involved in the rules-making process. Not every one of them is, is like a, a, a rules wonk. So, you know, find your good ones that, that really want to get deep into those things. And that's what they did a few years ago when they called the full-time officials. It was still part-time, but you had to put the NFL as your primary. And really, they just kind of, it was really ceremonious. They were kind of taking care of these little in-between things, but it really was not what we would think as a full-time job. And I'll have to say, 123 officials, they do put a full-time job in during the season. It is not just the three hours on the field. Do you think the Charles Woodson play with Tom Brady was a fumble? <laughs> well, you know, that was the rule at the time, and it was clunky wording. And so that's 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 one of those things where – and it, it came back to when they eventually did get that rule out of the book. And let's, let's also – you know, let's blame replay on why not? You know, I mean, it's it's an easy scapegoat. But part of that is when is that a pass and when are you tucking it into your body and where it would then become a fumble? So they're just trying to say, well, if it's still doing this, then it's still going forward. So we're going to count that. So then you get into these situations where it's like, all right, it's down in front of him. Ball is loose. So. As it was, as the rule was written at the time, yeah, that was that, uh, you know, that that was a part of the tuck rule, and that counts as an incomplete pass. And you know, Walt Coleman was forever maligned in Oakland and never worked a Raiders game again. He, he shouldn't worked, have. That call was never made before then. After that, not one of them was involving the Raiders. I never and, heard that rule ever before. And the less that we heard of Walt Coleman's accent, the better. (laughs) (laughs) And it actually, you know, in fairness, the thing is, is that these things that happen in divisional playoff games that are like 
everybody is there and everybody's watching it. They see it. And I'll, I'm hard pressed to remember the exact circumstances. And, you know, the way it works is when the camera comes off, it, it hits me right then. But um, earlier in the season, there, there was a, a tuck rule call. And, and it, but it, it was in the middle of a regional Sunday game before Twitter. You know, and so, um, you know, so therefore it just got lost in the ether there. And then, you know, some somebody's going through old games, you know, uh, you know, 10 years later, like, hey, look at that. That they called the tuck rule. And I and if I'm not mistaken, I'm I'm probably mistaken. I, I do think it was the Patriots, but they were on the on the opposite side. If, if I'm remembering correctly, it was against the Jets. But. Uh, my phone isn't binging yet, so I don't think, it, uh, you know, nobody's sending me any corrections right now. So, <laughs> but um, but th that that happens during the season. But, you know, it, if a tuck rule happens and nobody sees it, does it happen? So I guess that's that's really what it came down to is it happened in the on the biggest stage. And that's where a lot of these things that do happen that, that get a lot of attention. It's because they happen in in these big moments, like when they revised overtime. If, you know, if we don't have that championship game go into a one possession overtime, they're probably not even talking about uh, revising the overtime, which they only did for the postseason, which is, is a ridiculous construct on that. But, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm talking to Chicago and, and defense, and I, <laughs> I think uh, we, we kind of sit on this line of, you know, you play both sides of the ball and sudden death means sudden death. Indeed. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, reasonable people disagree. And, you know, that was a, that was a fight that I lost about uh, 12 years ago. And, you know, so this is the new way. But, you know, it's creeping in a little bit now. It's a field. It starts out as a field goal. Now it's like any any touchdown or, or field goal. And, you know, and then we're getting into safeties and onside kicks and all the stuff that, that brings in. But, uh, yeah, it, it's these things that happen on the big stage that we notice, the pass interference, of course. Ben, we got tons of great questions in the chat room, but uh, because of time purposes, I'm only going to choose two. Uh, King Pookie Nation just asked the question, do referees get fined? And then Casey earlier asked the question, do you think that referees should be held more accountable, like a lot of folks are saying, fines, suspensions, etc., instead of just uh, being a red mark on your yearly official scorecard? Your thoughts? Well, it's one of those, I, I understand where it's coming from. I, I get it. And especially your team gets hosed, you know, in, in, in a case where, you know, we had a third down stop and now the, the game-winning drive wound up continuing. You know, that is incredibly frustrating, and I get that. And I understand that it's like, who's to account for this? And, you know, on the other side of the equation, you know, you, you look at, well, you know, players and coaches make these missed calls all the time. You know, the, the mistakes that are made on, on that side, on the player and coach side, probably are far more than what happens to officials, which are held to a very high standard. I mean, you know, you can go with what the NFL says. They say 98%. It might be closer to 96%, but still it's pretty damn good. You know, you, you, you kind of hope that, you know, 
your, uh, you know, your brain surgeon, you want to be a hundred percent, you know, your official, you know, 98%, you can kind of give a little on that, but um, that's, that's one of the things do suspensions, do fines make better officiating. What it really comes back to is that doesn't really help. It's not like a situation where they called this because of whatever it is. Maybe they were just a little bit out of position, didn't see something. So to put a heavy handed punishment doesn't make it that get any better. And, you know, and that, that's what you have to look at is what's the incremental value on that? What do we get in return for that? Now, if you have an official that, that is systemically missing some things, well, then you got to tell them, you know, maybe it's time to either see the eye doctor or, or uh, pack it up and, you know, We'll, we'll write a number on a piece of paper here and you can take that and leave uh, or otherwise we'll, we'll really make things difficult for you. <laughs> and, you know, you had some situations where even, um, you know, when Mike Pereira was the head of officiating, we have what was called a Pereira purge. Basically, you know, he, he let go a lot of people based on the size of their waistband. Uh, <laughs> you know, he says, we want more fit officials. Well, they ran afoul of the union and all that, and then there was arguing back and forth. So they brought, brought a few people uh, back in the replay so that they could work on that, you know, sitting in that chair and work on that 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 size factor. <laughs> and um, but that, but that's the thing is that they kind of ran into to some of these problems when they did try to put in discipline uh, in in certain areas. But not getting a playoff game, you know, that is really big. It seems like it's a slap on the wrist. It's a big thing. It's playoff money that, you know, that you miss out on. So, you know, that, that does mean something. It is a penalty on them if they're not able to make that. Um, so, you know, there, there are consequences. And, yeah, eventually, you know, you'll work your way out of the league. It doesn't happen too terribly often. It's usually with some of the older officials. They say, you know, it's time for you to go, isn't it? And, you know, then they'll they'll – they'll voluntold them into retirement instead of volunteering them into retirement. But, um, and, and, but there's a handful of cases and they, they, they fired one in the middle of the season, which was completely unheard of. But in that case, you know, the, the league says, look, there was a real systemic uh, every week. We were seeing things on a repetitive basis and we had to do, we had to take action, but it still comes back to does that improve officiating? And the same comes back to, Full-time officials does having full-time officials having no outside job, you know, now you're going to narrow your pool of who's uh, available to officiate, you know, does, do you now move your 98% up to 99? Do you get that one? Is it worth that 1% or, you know, maybe it is, but maybe it also goes backwards as well. So it's all baked into the calculations as, as to what would really improve officiating. Did you see the Chicago-Pittsburgh game last season when uh, Tony Corrente, and before the game, I was like, oh, shit, guys. Every time Tony – I was at the game. Every time Tony Corrente does a Bears game, we get screwed on something. Late in the game, when the Bears had to stop to win the game, a kid named Marsh, who had used to have been – had been with Pittsburgh briefly, got a game-winning sack, essentially, and then Tony Corrente, like, hip-checks him 
and throws a flag on him, and he initiated the contact and then claimed that Marsh was taunting the Steelers when the replay showed he wasn't, and Corrente initiated contact with him. Like, that kind of stuff makes me want – I mean, I, I it makes me want to swear is what I'm saying to you. Like, I, I know Corrente retired at the end of the season, but he should be publicly scorned for that. When he initiated the contact, anyone with eyes knows he did it, but he did not have the temerity to admit that that shit was his fault. Well, and, and I know what everybody, what everybody. So here, here's me uh, running, the, running. The, here we go, right here. Please right? watch this. So watch here, this. He's pulling that flag out. See, that's uh -oh. that's part of where. Yeah. See, when he was already on calling a um, a taunting foul, and I'll, I'll get to that part in a little bit. But that was the thing was part of the ripping that out of his belt. But yeah, it, it, in slow motion. Yeah, it looks like he's he's you know knocking him over there. Show but, him the whole play, Aldo. The, see if it's taunting before yeah. that, please. If well, you could show and, him the whole play. It wasn't the the play wasn't taunting, but here was the situation: is they threw out a bunch of things saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're getting into all these these skirmishes at the end of you know in, in the middle of the games, and it's becoming harder to officiate. It takes time to disperse this." We don't want, you know, the network doesn't want to see us dispersing players after, you know, after every series there. So, you know, they said, you know, we're going to start cracking down on this. We don't want to see this as part of the game. So after the play, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at this and, you know, he does turn to the Steelers sideline. Was it enough? Yeah. See, now this is, this is one of those things. Is that directed towards the Steelers sideline? And that's one of the things where they gave him such a black and white thing that they said, you know, you got to call these things. And then they really had to look at it in the offices that, all right, yeah, we see how you got down this road. We got to pull you back. And for 2022, we've got to see this more uh, down with this alignment. And they've even said, if the player gets up and walks away, we're good. Even if it seems like he's pointing or doing something like that, Unless it's really an obvious over and you know that it's directed, then, you know, we're going to say if you get up and walk away, you're good. If you linger and start hovering over a player, now we're going to call it. So in that particular case, you know, I did feel bad for <laughs> I'm, I'm getting myself uh, getting myself put on a pike, I'm sure, for this. I see where he got to this call and how it went down that road. And, yeah, it wasn't taunting, but it was this whole pile on of, you know, we really need to pull in a lot of these extracurricular acts. And so for 20 like years, the NFL allowed you. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is he strutting towards the sideline? Eh, kind of, but not really, you know, and so you kind of have to put your officiating sense on and say, all right, we're not going to call that. Maybe we just say, Hey, look, don't, you know, stay on your side of the hash marks. You know, you know, there was no need to go that far. You didn't go in front of the bench. And so that's part of what we call preventive officiating, where an official will work with somebody and they'll say, hey, look, you're, you're too far off the line. You know, you're, you're a yard and a half off. You're okay, but we want you to scooch up a little bit. Or, you know, we see a lot of grabbing here and you're starting to get around the frame. And you haven't, you know, we haven't called it because it hasn't impacted the play. It hasn't been close enough to where it avoids a sack. So we haven't called it. That doesn't mean we're not going to call it. So they're like chatting with the, the players throughout the game. 
hey, watch yourself. You're starting to get that outside of the frame. I'm going to call holding on you if, if it gets any more egregious. You've got to pull that back. So this kind of conversation is had throughout the game. And I think in that taunting situation, that would have been the better thing to have done in that particular situation. I just remember for for years, Neil Smith was allowed to do the baseball home run motion every time he got a sack. Or even going back farther than that, Gastineau was allowed to celebrate after every sack. But this kid, this obscure kid gets a sack and they have to overturn the outcome of the game. Tony Carrente always did stuff like that against the Bears. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's gone. I hope he's miserable wherever he's at. I hope he's addicted to crack. <laughs> That's a bear fan talking right there. And I'm with him, by the way. <laughs> I, I got to tell you. Uh, Look, that, I know. I know it's three on ones. And I can take it. It's fine. It's- <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, Ben, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. That particular call there, uh, you know, it, it is tough. If, you know, if I had my way, the officials would have been meeting, as you said, you know, for 40, 50 hours, and they would have known that Clay Marsh was a former player of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He might be prone to taunting, so keep an eye on that. Now, I'm not saying that that was the right call or wrong call, but I do think that that, that adds to the ambiguity of what happened there. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, again, like I said, we have so many great questions. St. Omni, for instance, wanted to know how big Ed Hockley's biceps are. Not, not that you would know, but perhaps you would know. Well, I got the picture right up there. <laughs> well, how big are those Ed Hockley biceps? I don't want to get close enough to find out. That's how big they are. <laughs> there you go. All right, but the most important question that I have for you, and it was actually uh, inspired by Renewable's uh, chat claim here for question, knowing how subjective these games are to the whimsy of refs and umps, why bet on them? And then I'm also asking this on behalf of Johnny Santucci, our resident handicapper here at the Barroom Network. Can you give us any clue uh, to help us uh, when we're betting uh, as to, you know, should we go to your website and find out? You're already smiling because you know what I'm asking. Um, can you help us win some more bets based on, you know, who's calling games? I was at a Bears game with my buddy Dan last year, and we felt that the calls in favor of the Detroit Lions were going against the Bears, and then Dan says who the hell is that referee and so i went to your website and i saw oh the the referee is from michigan maybe he's calling games in favor and dan was like stood up and just tell you he's from michigan he's from michigan and so forth so the the long-winded question is is there anything that you can offer handicappers betters and so forth a clue as to what might help determine who's going to win the game well, and, and the ones that really want to know this are the coaches. They run like an astounding amount of analytics on the crews. Now, they have to, the, the missing puzzle pieces, they don't know who dropped the flag. You know, I mean, you can kind of suss that out from video and, and doing that. And we, we considered that at one stage, you're like, do we go through every play? And it's like, but then what? You, got, you have a bunch of numbers. What are you going to do with that? So... You know, we, we kind of backed off of that. Let let PFF take care of stuff like that if they want to. Um, but, you know, 
they are looking for that kind of data. They're looking for what did crews call. Now you have, you know, all the crews are established, but during the season, they do switch people in and out. There are injuries. They have a couple of uh, swing officials that will move from crew to crew. So they have, you know, they, they essentially they have a bench, but they're not going to let them sit all season. So they'll insert themselves into crews throughout the season. And so once you change that balance a little bit, you know, the, any any kind of statistics are out the window. On top of the fact, um, if you you uh, get a, an official and you're, you're five weeks in, you're like, my gosh, they, they're calling false starts. Well, maybe they had a whole bunch of false starts or, you know, uh, you know, they, they had uh, too many um, ineligible downfield calls and and. Bill Vinovich's crew calls most of that. Like, well, maybe they played a bunch of shitty teams. Uh, you know, you don't know what the what right. the balance is. You know, th- there's all these these mitigating factors. Then you add to the fact that, you know, as much as they don't want to admit this, they will steer their veteran crews towards like the Pittsburgh Cincinnati game. They're like, that's just a boiling pot. We don't need to throw the rookie in there and let his ass chew. So we're going to go out there and we're going to put Bill Vinovich or you know, saying I'm going to I'm going to leave somebody out and, and all that. But there there are a lot of ones that have gotten uh, the you know, and you can tell at the end of the season. It's the ones that you see in the championship game. It is the ones you see in the Super Bowl, and to some extent, you'll see them in in the divisional playoffs as well. Um, but everybody that makes the playoffs. You know, those are your top tier officials. And so, you know, they get those games. And so half of them don't, and, and they'll work as alternates in some cases. In some cases, they get frozen out of assignments entirely. But you're looking at, at like, you know, maybe you say, all right, we'll steer one of our better officials towards this divisional matchup. And then, you know, Jacksonville will get a bunch of these, uh, these other officials. Not to malign uh, my fair city there. <laughs> ben, I got to tell you, this has been a lot of fun talking, officiating with you. I hope we can uh, make arrangements to have you back. And I really do believe you need to do a weekly, maybe even daily podcast, because there's just so much to talk about. The book you wrote is entitled Soul You Think You Know Football, The Armchair's <laughs> Ref's Guide to the Official Rules. I uh, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend the website to uh, footballzebras.com. Ben does such an outstanding job, and he's got a, a cast of uh, supporting writers, too, who really know their stuff. Maybe we can do a podcast with uh, yeah. some or all of you uh, because it's just a, such a fun topic to talk well, about. The, the podcast is on the way as soon as I invent the 30-hour week, the 30-hour <laughs> day, 30-hour day. You know? I know what you're talking about. <laughs> we do a lot of shows here, and I wish there were more hours to the day. But uh, listen, if you need any help, let's uh, let's t- talk offline. Uh, ben Ash Ostro is is the pr- proper pron- pronunciation, right? Ben Ostro. Yes, Footballzebras.com. Uh, make sure you visit the website. And Ben, I, again, I cannot uh, stress enough how much fun this was to talk uh, football officiating with you. Take care, and hopefully we'll see you again real soon, okay? Sure thing. Glad to join you. Thanks. Take care. Dan Aguirre, what do you think, man? I was going to ask him uh, how big Johnny Greer's dick was, but I didn't get around <laughs> to it. 
<laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Johnny Santucci knows. <laughs> Santucci, how are you, my friend? <laughs> that was really interesting. That yeah, was interesting. Great. And by the way, I'm looking at you during the interview because I got this uh, uh, great viewpoint. I can see all of our guests and so forth. And I see you like looking at your above screen. So I know what you're doing when you're looking at those screens. You're you're looking at your bets. <laughs> you want to know. <laughs> so how I, are you doing tonight? I, I wish I'm. Uh, uh, look, I actually have to do some work because I got that freaking Entertainment Weekly. Oh magazine so i'm like gotta have some stuff done and then midwest living i got that magazine coming too so kind of like monitoring some stuff and then you know the proofers at work went down i've been logging in there to see if uh you know recalibration finished so i had still i at past two nights i think i've worked till 10 at night so but uh i got i'm also looking at the calgary flames golden knights game Mm -hmm. which i like the flames in this one, but it's tied two to two. So uh, had the Islanders that one, and had uh, I've been doing pretty good in hockey. I mean, there's not much else, you know. I don't. I, baseball's been, I don't know, it's tough. Yeah, fuck, and then, fuck baseball. Don't yeah. bet on baseball is what I tell everybody right now. You want to? I like on- the under today, and then people are like, "Oh, it's going to go over." I was like, "What?" Yeah. So I laid <laughs> off baseball, but yeah, you know, I, just, well, I think Dan has it right. Don't bet. Don't bet at all. Hey guys, I gotta make a quick run to the restroom. Uh, Dan and Tooch, yeah. can you yeah. take, take it away for a minute? Yeah, when you come back, I'm going too. <laughs> okay, good. I'm I've drunk ahead. a lot of Gatorade and water here tonight. So. <laughs> okay, I'm first this time. <laughs> I, I use the uh, backstage uh, lavatory while I was back there, Danny. <laughs> gotcha. I didn't mean yeah. to get so fired up when talking about the the Marsh play last year, but God, that uh, we got fucking cheated in Pittsburgh, man. Yeah, one of the worst. That and. Uh, the uh, Zach Miller call. <laughs> I never understood the Zach Miller call, man. It was a fucking catch. Anybody. Uh, Except Al Riveron, who yeah. was so proud to talk about why it was not a catch. And his explanation made no sense whatsoever. Horse, horse shit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and then after that, you know, that, that on that play, it ended his career too. It's just, he almost died. Literally. Yeah, he almost the, died and his career was over. They give the Bears props for taking care of him medically, man. They they even had him on the roster the next year at one point uh, for a while, so he could the insurance would help pay for him and things. Even though they knew he wasn't going to play. <laughs> Saint Omni says, "I guess the show has turned into guys taking bathroom breaks." <laughs> hey, man, I'm in my 40s now. I guess that's a thing, right? <laughs> Wait till you get to your 50s. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make it through a night of sleep with, uh, without getting up once or twice to be. Yeah. yeah. I hear I Sylvie do. talk about that whenever yeah. I listen to them. Yep. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have so many, I mean, this is, this is like the second or third week in a row where the bears could have won the game. You know, last weekend was just, I mean, the commanders didn't win that game. The Bears freaking lost him. So and Carson Wentz that. isn't even playing this week. They've got yeah. that that other the guy that played the playoff game against Brady a few years ago, right? I, then, Tyler yeah. Henneke or Henny, whatever his fucking name is, he's playing this week. Yep, he is. He's starting against, for the Commanders. Yeah, against uh, against the Packers, Commanders and Packers. I cannot wait to see the Packers lose their third consecutive games. This team 
despite the talent they have, they, they're very talented, especially on the defensive line. Offense, they're not very talented. And Aaron Rodgers is like totally fucking zoned out. I think he's playing on ayahuasca every week. <laughs> but I, I'm just so excited to see the downfall of the Green Bay Packers. The only thing that would have made it better if the Bears would have uh, beaten them that uh, week two. Was it week two? Whatever it was. Dan, yeah. go use the pisser, and then uh, Tooch and I are going to make love here. <laughs> I, uh, Aldo, you know, I mean, uh, their state of affairs was really easy to write this past mm-hmm. week just because there were so many things. Uh, the drama was – it was peak Bears drama. Mm. You know, peak Bears drama. It was beautifully done, Tooch, by the way. I, <laughs> that, that that was your best, uh, your bare state of affairs. You know, it, it kind of writes itself sometimes, although. You know, <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> the Bears, uh, the, you know, it, it wouldn't be the Bears if it didn't have, you know, drama, ridiculous things happen, uh, fans panicking, you know, uh, undue criticism. Uh, but, I mean, my thing is like, like, yeah, Justin Fields, he holds on to the ball. I, I had a stat here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I have so many screens on up here, too. Uh, there was a stat about Justin Fields holding on to the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was from ESPN Sports Analytics writer Seth Walder. Who he got t- a lot of shit for that. But yes. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know if anybody saw this, but uh, he detailed how only the five, only five of the 23 sacks that Justin Fields has taken this season occurred in fewer than 4.29 seconds, which is the medium time NFL quarterbacks spend in the pocket. Uh, uh, Walder concluded that Fields often holds on to the ball too long, uh, which, I mean, it, he's a 22-year-old kid learning uh, a voluminous playbook, <laughs> learning the NFL game, and uh, you had some you had some good uh, 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 plays a tape to watch there where, you know, with, especially the Kurt Warner stuff, you know, you got to throw it. I, I, this, you know, that's something uh, uh, every qu- quarterback has to learn is that one, the window is a lot smaller from college. You know, <laughs> a, a guy is open. If he's like one or two steps, one step, mm-hmm. you know, you could be three feet from a guy and that's open in the <laughs> NFL. You know, and that's something that's very hard for quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks to get uh to get used to you know it's just uh it's just the way it is you have to uh with a young quarterback you have to wait for that to uh for him to get used to stuff like that you know but uh but he, but he the thing is tooch is that we waited for uh Mitchell Trubisky and yep, we did he, he did not do it and and he yeah. still has had issues right Pittsburgh Steelers fans have recognized it the, yeah. the astute Pittsburgh Steelers fans have been complaining about the same thing that we complained about with Mitch. He just doesn't see the field very well. And that's what's happening with Justin Fields. And so the anticipation is that because of his remarkable physical talents that he's also, and because he's a smart kid that he's going to correct those, but Hey, it's 15, 16 starts now and we're not seeing major advances now. Now, it could happen. We had on as a guest last week, you and I, when uh, uh, Dan was on break a couple of weeks ago, we had on Coach T. Coach T yeah. predict, predicted by game eight or nine, we would see the advancements. So I'm, I'm I think very, that's fair, you know? Yeah, I think it's fair, too, and I'm yeah. very willing to be patient I, about it. But, hell, I can't I, I'm count, nervous. I'm nervous. I can't, I can't count last season. I know you said, like, 16 games or whatever it is. 
mm-hmm. because uh, it was, you know, a coach who was not a good coach. Let's just be honest, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and, and he was a lame duck coach. He was, uh, uh, we can we can deny it all we want, but I mean, the writing was on the wall that he was out the door. Right. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say uh, the, sure. the, it probably wasn't whispering whispers at the end of the season around as you got towards the end of last season, it was shouts instead of whispers that Nagy was going to be there. You know, that kind of talk. I mean, you see it if you're working a regular job, you see stuff like that. I was not long before. Right. The big boss is let go, you know, or something like that. You know, I, I've been in situations <laughs> like that where the VP, you know, has been, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, doing some things he shouldn't have been doing. Maybe uh, the, the, company credit card was uh overused and you know the boss was on his way out or whatever whatever it is but uh the whispers were there for matt Nagy. i can't count matt Nagy's season with justin fields because i mean what he comes into it he just replaces uh you know uh Mitch, mitchell trubisky you know he's a rookie uh and he's got into this you know he's got into the situation by all accounts we had sort of the the uh i don't know whether the idea or at least the talk that uh, they didn't want uh, Nagy didn't didn't want Fields to start yet. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. really his. Didn't think he was ready and stuff. And that's probably a lot of truth to that. And I can't remember who was in the chat room that said uh, 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 Justin Fields was asked whether he thought the NFL game was fast. He's like, doesn't seem too fast to me. But that that's know. what he said before he right. started his first NFL game, and right. that's haunted him. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, uh, think about it. You're a 21 or 22 year old kid, and someone asks you a question like that. You're not going to say, "Boy, it's really fast." You know, you're a kid. You're gonna. You don't want someone to say, "Why the fuck did you say that?" You know, of course he's gonna. What else is he gonna say? Is my point. Yeah, he he said that before he saw any action in a real NFL game. Yeah. So. You know, he should have known better, but like you said, he's a young man. He's a kid. I hate to call them kids because they, you know, you're old enough to kick my ass. I know that. Yeah, um, but, but this yeah, last no. game, the last game, man, it was like incredible uh, performance by the kid. He was getting pressure on 46% of his dropbacks, mm-hmm. you know, 40. So every other play he's, he's getting hammered, you know, I mean, there was a time where I was like, this kid's not going to last the season during this game. I'm like, he's going to, someone's going to like hit him just right, blow out his knee or break an ankle, you know, maybe like a Tim Crumryer, Zach Miller, or Robin Ventura flapping ankle, you know, and that's it for the kid, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I, 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 you don't see many uh, performances that tough and, what impressed me was that this kid's he's gonna do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to try and win, you know, give it everything. You know, he, he, he cut off one of his arms, he's still gonna try and fucking win the game. Yep, indeed. You know, but indeed. you got if you don't admire that, you're a bears fan, you admire one of your players doing something like that. I don't know what's wrong with you, because <laughs> fucking I don't care if the kids uh uh learning, but you know, uh to me uh, the more the more I thought about the, the game and the season up to this point, the the less I liked Ryan Poles, you know, uh, the less impressed I was with what he's done. You know, you talk about, oh, he turned five picks into 11. He turned five picks that could have been, like, really good players into 11 picks, maybe three that are good and eight that are probably not going to make an NFL roster in a year or two. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to say, but, I mean, I, I – there's you can trade back, but I mean I, the dude traded back so much. Like I, I said, I think I said a day after the draft ended, 
It's like, I thought he was going to trade out, out forever, never have any picks in the game. He traded back. So John, John, you make a really good point there. And it's only time will tell whether, you know, the trading back it was a good idea, you know, yeah. based on what we see as some of these players. But I, I do agree with you that sometimes trading back to accumulate more draft picks just means you're going to accumulate more mediocre players. Yeah. If you're really, really happy with your board and you really think that there's some players who are worthy of being uh, picked in the fifth round, but you're trading those for seventh rounders, then maybe you're hurting yourself. Dan Aguirre, are you still there? Yeah, I've been back for a while. I didn't want to interrupt oh, okay. uh, too. <laughs> no, no, he was making great points, so I didn't want to interrupt. But I do, I do got to go. I'm sorry I got oh, fired sorry, up during Dan. the interview. No, it's okay. It's okay. You were doing well. Uh, I'm sorry I got fired up during the interview with the ref guy. Yeah, that was great. I'm so glad you did. I mean, every I, I expected that out of you, Dan. I really did. Well, I didn't mean to yell. I don't feel well either. So uh, I'm just glad I made it through the show, honestly. That's why I was drinking so many liquids to get rehydrated, and that's hence my, my multiple pisses, I think. So you're headed now to your 911 job? Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like it, but yes, I'm going. How has that been lately for you, Dan? Uh, I know that uh, you've voiced privately some frustrations with that job. Do you want, is there anything you want to share publicly? No, I mean no. It's just it's just the <laughs> enormity of both jobs all the time. I can't imagine that job. Imagine it's like a, a, the pressure, the stress, the you know, like air traffic controller type stress. You know, being a nine one one operator and dealing with that kind of intensity, like for eight hours straight or whatever, whatever your shift is. Yeah, I've watched watched it. Uh, rather, I've worked a bunch of sixteens. No. So, yeah, by the time you get through 16, you're like, okay, I could see why De Niro would snap in Taxi Driver at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think anybody that works that 911 board uh, should be making at least $125,000 a year and also getting benefits at after the age of, what, 50 or 55. So um, I'm, I'm glad you're making that kind of money, Dan. I'm not making that kind of money. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Like uh, for the area, they pay me well Good. for our area. Like if I was in downtown Chicago, they'd be like $22 an hour. That's bullshit. You know? <laughs> but here that's like, that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's funny. All right, uh, Dan, uh, we will let you go, go save some love. Oh, wait, uh, Danny, hold on. I forgot. I did. I got something for you that I collected. Okay. Here for, uh, it's like 12 seconds. Okay. Of this, uh, your favorite uh, broadcaster. Ready? Yes. Little taste of some of these big guys coming out hitting them. Like, all right, you think you're going to run around our guy? How about if you get a little taste of Landon Dickerson coming right down your throat? Wow. <laughs> coming right down your throat, Danny. Thank you, Carl. I thought he was talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was talking about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I recorded that one. I thought of you immediately. <laughs> Chris is just getting obscenely dirty for NBC. You can't help but suck a player's dick. That's right. <laughs> well, I got to go let them come down my throat at the other job now. So, <laughs> All right, get out of here, man. All right, gentlemen. Talk to you later. I uh, love um, <laughs> That is uh, the great Dan Aguirre. And by the way, um, I just want to remind people that Dan, let me get rid of that graphic. 
Dan, and Tooch, are you going to be available November 5th to join us for the party? Yeah, I'm going to come out. Yeah. All right. And for those of Man, you. Man, I, I got to see my Uncle Mike. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Can't wait to give him a big hug. Give him a big hug. But yeah. remember, yep. he doesn't like physical contact. No, I know. I know. He's like <laughs> my, gran- my grandpa. <laughs> right. Uh, I will, I will, those, can't wait. You know. Yeah. For those of you who were not with us at the early part of the show, it's uh, going to be a Barflies uh, Get to Meet the Barroom Network show host. Dan Aguirre is going to be there. Mike North, Johnny Santucci, Johnny Buffon. I'm going to be there. Danny Shimon's going to be there. Neil Stopchinski is going to be there. Vinny Parisi is going to be there. A number of other Joey Mandel, maybe? I, I think so. I haven't talked to Joey yet. I know he's radio up. son. <laughs> yes. I, I know he's living up in Michigan now. That's um, right, yeah. I'm hoping that he yeah. can he can make the trip. But I'm, yeah. I'm finalizing the details on the venue, but I'm pretty sure it is going to be in the O'Hare Airport area. They got plenty of parking yes. spots, yeah. spots there that are free once you get your yeah. parking spot validated. The one place my wife and I visited, we would, we did what is called in the event uh, management industry a site survey has free parking, bowling, video games, a pool table, drinks and food. So we're hoping that you guys can all join us there and uh, interact with us face-to-face, not just through a chat room. So we're really hoping that we can uh, make that happen. I will have – I'm actually having a meeting tomorrow uh, afternoon with the venue event manager. And so if everything uh, goes well, we will have the name and address of the venue finalized by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It should be a great, great great time it's like noon right on saturday so it's a daytime exactly so this is first and foremost an opportunity for all the barroom show hosts to get together and celebrate our successes but at the same time this is an opportunity for all the barflies to join and uh, interact with your favorite show hosts so i i totally expect nobody to bother me (laughs) during that time because there's gonna be so many great people there but uh, yeah, yeah. it should be great. Uh, Swanky, I hope you're in town. Swanky, of course, wants to know if there's going to be a Gold Room <laughs> Gentlemen's Club. <laughs> Swanky, by the way, well, has struck full out. Full of milfs. Swanky. Yeah, he struck full, full out of milfs. He, he has struck out twice with milfs. And so uh, he really, man. really. Swanky and I need to get into a uh, private room so I can give him one-on-one uh, consultation on, <laughs> on this problem. It's uh, uh... <laughs> It's kind of like the Bears games the last two weeks. So ah. close, so close. Like... <laughs> no bad. I better see you there, man. Oh. You, want, you want fat hookers? I'll take care of you, man. Just is, no, is Nomad coming out? I don't know. He better. Uh, he yep. better. I yep. know that he's very protective of his identity, but this is the time to show yep. who you I know are. Pookie will probably be there. King Pookie Nation was there last uh, Yeah, last time. time. Yep. Yeah, Dan Aguilar was Pook. there. You yeah. got to meet him. And, uh, what about Retro? Is Retro coming? Retro's out of New Jersey. I don't know oh, if okay. he's going to be in town for uh, that game. but uh, I, Shorty is uh, Florida. Uh, Mr. Shorty will be in town. He's actually yeah. – uh, we're going to be seated next to him at the game. Uh, Dan and I will be seated next to him at the game. Mm-hmm. So he'll be in town. And so Mr. Shorty – and his beautiful wife, and I, again, I don't know whether I should refer to her yeah. as the first name, uh, but Kitty is the show name. 
Kitty and Mr. Shorty will be there as well. Wow, uh, Retro's in Delaware. That's right. Yeah, he told Delaware. us. Delaware. What the yeah. fuck? Who the hell lives in Delaware? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. He's such a New Jersey guy. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Calgary Flames just came, uh, two, two, three minutes left in the game. Three to two now. Ooh, I love it when I get something right. Uh, oh, that's right. Joe Biden is from Delaware. He takes the train right. to Washington, D.C. and uh, and doesn't talk to anybody. He doesn't know <laughs> what's going on. Um, all right. You know Tooch. what? Uh, Ryan, Ryan Pace better. Skulls fucking suck a dick. You know? <laughs> Voice from the past. <laughs> that's, I, I got so mad at Poles and Pace after this last game. Like I said in, in Bear's State of Affairs, that Ryan Pace... For for his swings and misses, you know, just dumb like dumb swings and misses, you know. Mm-hmm. Matt's like, uh, and Ryan Poles, you know. I mean, Ryan Pace rode high on a, a locker room that uh, John Fox had built, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, early uh, uh, free agent acquisitions like you know Khalil Mack and stuff, which I still and Dan Aguirre would agree we we traded away a, a considerable. Mm-hmm. amount of our future to uh to acquire him uh but uh you know we hadn't really had a, a a stud pass rusher like that for quite some time so you know bear fans at the time were you know generally happy with it but after uh you know after a while you're just like oh the roster just declined there was the the salary cap was a mess until you know he finally you know was shown the door unceremoniously yep. and then ryan poles came in and just I mean, for an offensive lineman to build an offensive line with, you know, or, or not, it's, it's like a guy that, like, it, it, you work with that thinks he's the smartest guy in the room but does a half-assed job at everything. You know, yeah, just see, a little I, bit, you know? I'm not going there quite yet, Tooch. Right. No, you, I know. You may know. be right. You, you may be absolutely right, but I, I do want to give him another year to build sure. his offensive line. And so yep. – you know, one of the things that Eberflus and Poles talked about at length was we are going to play young players. And the reason they were saying that was because they wanted to play these young guys to see what they got. And so we're, what, uh, five, six games into the yeah, season? That's and a great so, point, although you make – Yeah. Uh, uh, now, I, I want to say one other thing mm-hmm. about uh, Ryan Pace because my mom, who passed away – uh about a month ago so forth and i i her dying words was we were talking about ryan pace and this is what she said he's a fucking idiot <laughs> those were my mom's dying words. i couldn't get to the idiot. button faster than you all though <laughs> he's a fucking idiot yeah oh, mom i miss you i love you he's a fucking idiot <laughs> I Oh wait a minute! It's on a loop. That's why. Yeah, it's on a loop. Yeah, you have to turn it off actually. But I was enjoying it. Me too. I love you, mom. I love you. I uh, I mean, uh, you know, I can't help but say what I've always said about Eberflus and Poles is that. We got two more guys that are kind of like guys that we always get, just coaches and GMs that are, you know, first time guys doing it, learning on the job. Uh, you know, I, I the, the defense. You know, we hired a defensive guy, and that and that's fine. But I mean, if you look at the NFL, it's kind of an offensive league now, 
you know, uh, and I'm not, I'm not certain that Luke Getze is really all that, you know, I mean, I, I, maybe the offensive line and the quarterback, of course, are dragging it down a little bit. And that's probably, it's probably, you know, a little of both, but uh, Ryan Poles, man, I just, the trading back, we could have got, probably could have gotten, maybe traded back once, maybe twice and gotten some decent, he didn't, he didn't draft enough offensive linemen that, you know, that, that I know hindsight is 2020, but uh, I'm sure there were certain Bears uh, barroom folks that wanted some offensive linemen here, Jordan Severa, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, uh, the wide receiver room isn't great. You know, we got we got guys. I mean, I, I'm impressed with Equinemi and St. Brown. I think he's done a pretty good job. Yeah. You know? uh, and uh, uh, other than that, it's like uh, uh, you've got another rookie who, you know, let the football hit off his face mask and cost us probably cost us the game. But I mean, we got down to the goal line, another uh, interception with uh, uh, of Fields. Yeah, that, that one bounced off of uh, one of the uh, commander's defensive lineman's uh, helmet, you know. And uh, I, I think Cole Komet was was open on that play. Could have been a different different situation and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted Brian Dayball and look at the success he's had with maybe a, a shittier roster than the bears, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, the and I don't know about that. Jordan uh, Silvera, my good buddy from yeah. the necessities and stuff. He and I have mm-hmm. had kind of this Twitter battle on that. You know, he, it's he, all in good fun though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I love don't, Jordan. Don't get worried. Barflies. Yeah. This guy is fucking brilliant. He is brilliant. But yeah. I disagree with some of his takes. And one of his takes was, is that he felt that the New York giants and the Chicago bears started off from basically a similar position in terms of roster and so forth. And I pointed out to him, no, that's not the case. When the new GMs and new coaches inherited their teams, Ryan Poles with uh, with uh, the Chicago Bears and the GM with the New York Giants, the Giants had like 14 draft picks, and they had so much capital to work with. Plus, they had a quarterback who had close to 50 game starts as opposed to Justin Fields who had 13, and that means a lot. Now, when Jordan yeah, says Brian Dable would have been the best coach, and other people I see in the chat room are saying the, the same thing, would have been the best coach for the Chicago Bears, it's hard to fucking argue with that based on what we're seeing and, and based on what we're seeing Dable do with Daniel Jones, really fucking hard to argue with that. So applause, applause, that seems to have been the better choice. Yeah. I wish you were in charge of hiring other than uh, uh, the McCaskies, but it is what it is. We've got Eberflus and Poles, and they're taking a much more deliberate, slow approach towards building the team. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, well, this is kind of what I would have liked to have seen Ryan Poles do. Um, trade back and maybe get one or two extra picks in this draft. And if he was going to trade away, you know, even farther – I would, I might have preferred getting picks in next year's draft, but mm-hmm. you know, trading some, but I, I mean, I think what he's got to do now is, uh, you know, from this point on, the schedule gets a little more difficult. We can all agree, I think, right? You know, oh. It gets a lot difficult, a lot more difficult, you know. Fucking hey, I got think I got schedule, uh, on my, yeah, you got that schedule. We can flash. Yeah, got- yeah there we go. Okay. <laughs> likes to make fun of it because of the, I got the prime time games. Yeah. He, he calls those spotlights, spotlights. <laughs> Martians. <and stuff. laughs> Little like Martians flying away. 
<laughs> but yeah, we got a Monday night football game with the Patriots. The, and uh, Belichick, music. Who, who, yeah, who, Belichick will probably approach yeah. Eberflus. The Cowboys are so, probably. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> bad, bad choice of words. The, the, the guys in the chat room had it pegged. You know, I, I, I think uh, uh, J2K and Leo and uh, uh, I forget who. Uh, Jim, uh, maybe Jamal and, and and Torian and Joe Treviso, those guys were saying all they're going to do is put a spy on uh, on Justin, uh, uh, you know, keep uh, make him throw, keep keep the run game down, just make Justin Fields throw. Right. But they're not going to let him scramble. They're going to keep him in the pocket, make him throw. You know, that's what Belichick is going to do because Belichick is not stupid. Right. <laughs> he's fucking exactly. smart as shit. He may be a dick, but, he's, uh, but yeah. Hold on, I didn't. Uh, can you flash that back up there again? Sure. So you got the the Patriots, you know, mm-hmm. who uh, who probably well, this is in Foxborough Monday Night Football. Dan Aguero will tell you the Bears suck on Monday night. Uh, then the next week you got the Cowboys, who have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Oh my gosh! You know the, the pass rate. You want to see like pressure on forty six percent of the snaps? You might see pressure on eighty percent of the snaps yeah. with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The Washington Commanders' defensive line is pretty fucking good. Yeah, I mean, you saw it last week. Jonathan Allen, I mean, he was just like he was, he had no problem getting past Mustafer or, or Patrick or a double team, didn't matter who you put. You know, he was gonna juke one of them and it took just a just a little step and, and shove him out of the way. I was just like, What the hell? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of starting to think that Lucas Patrick Patrick isn't all that. You know, I don't I know he's that guard and it's not really he sucks. I don't think he's that good. I mean, it's like maybe he doesn't suck at center, but as yeah. a right guard or a left guard, he sucks. Yeah, I'll tell you why he's there is that he knows Getsy's system and it can make the line calls. Exactly. You know, he may not be that good, well but he, he knows the systems he can make the line calls. Then you got the dolphins, man. I, don't, I, I like our young defensive backs, but uh the Vikings for all by all accounts and purposes, I watched that game. Vikings and Dolphins, and uh, there was uh, there wasn't any. They could not cover uh, Jalen Waddle and Tariq Hill. Yep. And when they tried to uh, double them, Mike Gesicki was open. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, when Skylar Thompson left the game, that was it. You know, I mean, then uh, the Vikings were able to take control of the game. But I the- I agree with Jordan Silvera on another point. Uh, he's in love. He has a man crush on Mike uh, McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins. I do too. I thought he would have been a better choice other than Eberflus. And not, I'm not disparaging Eberflus. I think yeah. that he could do a good job eventually. I agree. But, but yeah. uh, uh, Daybol and McDaniel were choices that I would have preferred. It's possible that we don't have the staff – uh, in place to develop a, a young quarterback like like Justin well, Fields, it's possible. Well, it's possible. I'm not. Gonna, I mean, I might have thought otherwise before the season. Say, hey, these guys are pretty good. You know, the coaches seem to know what they're doing, but maybe not with a young quarterback. Because then you got the Lions, and I mean, that's definitely a game we can win. It's the Lions, and then the Falcons <laughs> have been pretty darn good. You know, that's a that's a good offense. There, their defense might not be good. Then you got the Jets, who are surprising. All those. All those uh, uh, high first-round picks coming home to roost on the Jets. And then, of course, we're home against the Packers, who always beat us, anyways. And we got a bye after the bye. Look, come back in the st- the Eagles, you know. And then Christmas, we get we get the Bills. Man, it's like two weeks in a row of like the two best teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, without a doubt, those are the two best teams in the NFL. They'll probably be in the Super Bowl. Uh, and then week seventeen, you got the Lions again. We might salvage a victory. 
there by playing the crappy Lions and then the Vikings, who will probably win this division just by uh, the early early season victories. You know, they, they're building a lead on the Packers. Yep, indeed. So uh, that's it's, it. You know, it's, I, I don't know where where do you see a victory coming here, although maybe the lot. Lions. Here's what I see a top yeah. draft pick. That's yeah. what I see. Yep. <laughs> and and th- this whole issue with Justin Fields, and again, if you missed the start of the show, I- I'm a Justin Fields supporter. I really, really yeah, think that he could become a quality NFL quarterback. But the fact of the matter is that right now he's not playing well. And Look at this quote here from Benjamin St. Just. Don't take it from me. Don't take it from any of the Justin Fields naysayers or anyone else. Take it from a guy who has played against him. Um, that's what it is. One read, and he pulls it down, and he's running. That's why we sent a lot of pressure and mixed the coverages from man to zone. We knew that once he doesn't see his first read, it's not open. He just runs. We didn't want to give him any time. It worked. That's Benjamin St. Juice, a rookie cornerback, by the way, a rookie who I really wanted on Chicago Bears, but nonetheless. Yeah, what he's on what the, the commanders? Yeah, he was on the commanders. He played against the Bears on Thursday, and he he yeah. said that they knew that he that Justin Fields was a one-read quarterback. And on top of that, I didn't capture the soundbite, but Ron Rivera said the same thing. We knew what this guy was capable of doing. And the fact that he ran as well as he did against us, we are, he basically, I'm paraphrasing here, we, we basically screwed up because we talked about that over and over again. So Bill Belichick right now, as he, as, as he is game planning on this Monday yep. night game against Justin Fields, he knows that Justin Fields is a one-read quarterback. Yeah, he'll take away the first read. That's a given. Exactly. He'll what, take away the first read. What is uh, is Bill Belichick known for? Take away your strengths. Take, yeah, take away, away the strengths of the team. Yep. As, as uh, Matt Eberflew said in today's press conference, make the team a left-handed team. Make yeah. them rely on things that they're not used to doing, that they're not uh, capable of doing, of they're not used to doing. Yep. And so that's what we're going to, going to see on Monday night. And so what has to happen is that Justin Fields needs to make that evolutionary leap. Oh, fuck, no, his offensive line. Oh, the receivers and so forth. I already showed you at the beginning of this show Kurt Warner's analysis of Justin Fields holding the ball too long. He's got to fucking as as throw it. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. That's an exact quote from Kurt Warner. Yeah. Cutler had the same kind of problem too. He didn't want to throw guys, you know, throw to a spot. You know, yeah. Trubisky, same thing. A lot of quarterbacks have this problem. Uh, Kurt Warner, uh, was, you know, Kurt, first of all, Kurt, Kurt Warner had a hell of an arm, you know, and mm-hmm. he was able to understand, you know, really early that, uh, the window is very small in the NFL from where he played at Northern Iowa. And, you know, he had to, he had to just trust that he's going to throw it. And that, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen quarterbacks make, uh, throws zip it in there. I, I can't remember which game I was watching. Someone zipped a throw and the guy was right on him. 
and he threw it right in front, you know, right, right into his chest, you know, with the guy draped all over him. That's open in the NFL, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of young quarterbacks don't get that right away. They, they just don't, don't you know. Uh, will we see just? That's up to him, man. That's up to him. But I mean, look at the natural uh, talent of running. He's one of the fastest guys on the field when he's out there, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he's tough. But is he going to get it? I don't know. Man, yeah. Maybe, like I said, maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe the coaches aren't the right coaches to get well, it. Out. That, that's the other no. thing. Let me let me underline also yeah. what Kurt Warner said because Kurt Warner was Kurt Warner Kurt Warner was n- just not critical of Justin Fields. He was yeah. critical of the coaching staff. He was critical yeah. of other players. He he pointed out that here here Justin Fields is doing everything correctly. He fades back, plants the back foot, fires the ball. Be, uh, before the pressure gets to him and the ball fucking hits the face mask of Dante Pettis, he doesn't make the catch. Yep. Here's another example. He's got the uh, trips left. Receivers are going to the middle of the field. None of them is open. The primary uh, pass catcher was was guarded well by the linebacker, but he's got no secondary choices because everybody was grouped together in the middle of the fucking field. That's on Luke Getze. And I will, I will add to that that Kurt Warner was critical of Luke Getze in the Packers playoff game. If you go back and look at Kurt Warner's evaluation of the Packers uh, playoff game, and I asked Jordan to take a look at that and to comment on that, but uh, Jordan chose not to. But the, 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 the complaint that Kurt had was there's just a, – a, a, and caveat here you know um luke getsy was just a quarterback coach but he was complaining about that there was just a lot of things happening with the the play designs from the packers last year that didn't make any sense to kurt warner so i'm just relying on a super bowl winning quarterback pro football hall of fame quarterback on what he's one of the best to ever do it thank you brother kurt warner man one of the best man uh yeah, I mean, I know you had uh, J2Ks up there. It is a trust. Just, Justin Fields has to trust that his arm is going to get the ball there, thrown to at a, a timing. You know, the timing has to be there, you know, and he has to understand that uh, it, what's open, it, it doesn't look like it's open, but it's open. Right. You know, that's just that's just the NFL. It's a higher level, you know. And I, I know it says too soon to blame Fields or the coaches. Um, that's true to a point. I mean, I, I think we can blame where we are. Uh, a little bit of blame where we are right now at this point. You know, you, we're bro. not saying it's the end all be all. That Thank you, brother. You and I are thinking but, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can, like, like I said, polls to me, polls get, gets an F for the season, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. maybe a D because he did draft a couple nice players. You know, Absolutely. you got, you got to like Jaquan Brisker and mm. uh, uh, I mean, Jaquan Brisker is going to yeah. get votes as a defensive rookie of the yeah, year. Yeah. He's a good ball player. And then, Absolutely. uh, I think Kyler Gordon, I, I don't know. I think he's okay. He he's improving. Yeah. I mean, his last game. He looks like he could be pretty good, but I, I mean he will be. And then uh, Velas Jones, he's been injured and he had the costly punt, you know, and then you got Braxton Jones, who looks okay. Let's face it, he's a fifth round pick. You know, then what else we got? We got a bunch of low, late round picks who were injured or cut. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean there wasn't a lot there that all the eleven draft picks, I mean. Name name more than like three of them, right? That were any good, although <laughs> yeah, I can't. You know, 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, one of the guys, I think two of the offensive linemen got injured. The center from Illinois and uh, uh, there was a, Kramer, a dude, uh, yeah, Zachary Jones, I think his name was, or something like that. Zachary something. And he was, uh, I don't know, like San Diego State or something or whatever. It's another small school, like Southern Utah, which I think is where Zach, uh, no, Braxton Jones is from. I think the other guy's name was Zach Jones. Now, no, no relation, but uh, another offensive lineman who I don't think, is he on the practice squad or is he on injured reserve? I don't know. I don't you know, know but, either. Uh, but, uh, the, the Patriots seem to find guys, and Bailey Zappi's a seventh-round pick, mm-hmm. you know? But, I mean, he came from a passing school. It's not – Let's not kid ourselves. And Western Kentucky slings the ball over. They they don't not they do not run the ball, you know. They just throw the ball, you know. Right. Same with uh, uh uh he was at Houston Baptist before that, and all they do is throw the ball. You know they'll throw the ball sixty times a game. Zach Thomas, yeah, San Diego State. So he's a, a tackle or guard or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, these are developmental draft picks. These are guys that they were not chosen with the expectation that they were going to help this team in 2022. Yeah. I know some people yeah. say even Zappi was a fourth-round pick. I think he's a seventh-round pick. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I remember seeing a story about that, but uh, I'd have to go back. and I couldn't say it. But, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the game, uh, Dante Pettis was interfered with in the end zone. I can't believe that wasn't called. It was freaking obvious. It should have been first and goal on the one game over Bears. And, you know, I mean, Dan Aguirre's right. The refs uh, calls, I'd say, man, it's not 50% Bears get calls, 50% they don't get the calls because it's fucking lopsided against us. I swear to God, it was fucking lopsided against us. Yep. Ain't no lying. I mean, you can watch any Packers game and Bakhtiari and whoever else is going to be holding a Bears guy. And nobody's the ref will be, you know, oh, look away. I didn't see it. You know, that's, that's uh, just wait. You know, I mean, yeah. I agree. We, I we agree. haven't spent money on the offensive line or draft picks. That's my, my well, main point. And, and so, one of the reasons we were all excited about. You know, Ryan Poles was just because he's a former offensive lineman that he knew the importance of winning the yep. line of scrimmage and so forth. But his actions speak louder than words. There's just yeah. not anything going on here. It's the worst unit on the team. It really it's fucking the worst is. unit on the team. Really you know, is. I mean, that's why I was so mad after, you know, and the bare state of affairs that this dude, it's almost an unforgivable sin right. because you look at the top two teams in the NFL. You've got the Bills and the Eagles, and both those teams are probably the two best offensive lines in football in the mm-hmm. NFL, the Bills and the Eagles. I mean, mm-hmm. if you watch the Eagles-Chiefs games, the Bills are able to run the ball on the Chiefs, you know, no problem. And the Eagles, I knew that was, that was my best pick uh, Sunday night. I knew that the Cowboys weren't I – mean, they have some good – they have a good pass rush and some mm-hmm. decent, decent players uh, on defense, but they were exposed, man. Uh, I didn't think it was uh, it was going to be close. They, I mean, the Eagles have a tendency to kind of let teams back into it. We saw it when they played the, the Lions, but in the second quarter, man, the 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 Eagles outscored teams like eighty to zero. It's like it's like <laughs> something like that, man. I was like, I had Eagles first half and Eagles full game, and uh, uh, to cash both those tickets. But uh, Eagles are probably the Eagles are definitely the best team in, in the NFC. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I I posted on on Twitter, you know, the Bears could become the Eagles next yeah. season, and I, you know, there's not a lot of reason to believe that. Well, the chat room agrees with you. Can happen. 
It yep. can happen. It the chat really room can. agrees with you. They said they'll start start designing a playbook like Jalen Hurts has. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's the key to what I was trying to say is that, you know, Jalen Hurts, a, a lot of people in the NFL, NFL fans and, and analysts thought that Jalen Hurts was a bust. I just want to go on record. Yeah. I hate to beat my own. You liked uh, Jalen Hurts too. Yeah, I know. Like I love hey, hey, Patrick Mahomes, you and I both. I would have drafted him number one overall. People Thank were like, you. People I were like, you're you, fucking crazy. You. you know, <laughs> we had the third over a third overall pick. I would have taken Patrick Mahomes right there. <laughs> you know, oh, he came out of Texas Tech, you know. All you had to do was watch all the different arm angles, all, right. all the arm strength. The dude runs around like Fran Tarkenton out there. Yes. Man. You like, don't yeah. overlook a quarterback who can yeah. throw the ball in the air 99 yeah. yards. I'm he sorry. got a hell of a fat. He can spin it, man. It's like, <laughs> I know. Plus, he has good, he had good escapability. Yeah. And by all accounts, he's a dude that, like, he looks like he's having so much fun out there. Exactly. You know, That's the other he thing. He always looks like he's having fun. Exactly. He's, just, he's a competitor. You know, a great I don't know. Spirit. It comes yeah. from a, a bloodline of professional athletes. Yep. His father pitched with the Cubs. By the way, Tooch, I've started an exercise, and I'm not really f- finished with it, but I will be probably by the – Men our age shouldn't exercise all <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me fucking about it. My back uh, agrees oh with Oh, my you. God. My t- but I, I started a, a, a thought exercise on, you know, what does this team look like in 2023? Yeah, I love there, it. Uh, there's over $100 million in cap space, but there's so many positions that are open for the Bears. And so – I, I looked at the Bears salary cap for uh, 2023, and, and again, this is not complete. These are part of the results that I came up with. Look at the top where it says the, the green players are super set, white players are set, and the X players are not set. So there's nobody on the offense that we're super set on. You know, at quarterback, you can't say – that we're super set at that because we're the jury is still out yeah. with Justin Fields. The same thing with the the entire in, in the entire offensive line with the left guard, where we know we are not set at that position. At left tackle, let's just say that Braxton Jones is going to continue to develop and he will be the 2023 offensive tackle. Let's just say that Larry Borum will be the right tackle for this team. And let's just say that the right uh, guard will be Tevin Jenkins. So those are the set positions. Darnell Mooney at the wide receiver set position. We don't have a left wide receiver or an X wide receiver. We don't have a slot wide receiver and we're set at the running back position and could be super set if we sign uh, uh, David Montgomery. So for 2023, this team has no superstars, no, no super set players. And then on the defense, we don't have any super set superstar players, but we are a little bit better off with the exception of the defensive line. We've got guys signed at the left end and right end position and at the left tackle, nose tackle position, but those guys are not superstars. Those guys are not players you should count on to help you win Super Bowls. We don't have a three-tech. We oh. don't have a middle line. And, and, and 
Poles did not draft a fucking three technique, the most important part of the defense. Can you believe that? I know. I don't know. I don't understand. He didn't draft offensive line. He didn't draft a, a, a three technique. Uh, it, uh, it, it boggles the mind, truly yeah. boggles the mind. Yep. And then at the linebacker position, we don't have a middle linebacker signed for next year. Nicholas Morrow signed only a one-year contract. We don't have a strong side linebacker. I put a green super set mark with the anticipation that the Bears would at the very least franchise tag Roquan Smith. And then in the defensive backfield, Eddie Jackson is definitely superset he's back to being the eddie jackson and then i'm hoping that jalen johnson kyler gordon are going to be superset players at cornerback and uh, that uh jaquan brisker is going to continue to develop and be a superset player at at safety but when i look at 2023 my god tooch Fucking Ryan Poles has a lot of work to do. I don't care how much money he's got. I don't care how many draft picks he's got. He's got a fucking lot of work to do. I don't know about that, man. The Jordan Silvero will debate you on this. <laughs> Jordan there guys there, man. You know, I mean, uh, uh, we traded out of uh, some places where we could have taken some guys. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, yeah, perpetually uh, – the Bears have see every season too many holes to fill all the fucking. Yeah. Well, and Cliff is saying add eight green players from the draft. Well, we've only got six draft picks right now. So I don't know how you add eight uh, green yeah. players from the draft. And I, I know, know how we can get some more. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I know how we can get some more. Robert Quinn. <laughs> hey, as <laughs> difficult. Trade noise. Let's have this discussion. Let's have this discussion. Uh, I got. I made a list, Aldo. Okay, go got ahead. My, my notepad. Robert Quinn is an obvious choice. Got to move uh, him before the trade deadline. Got to move him before the trade line, which I think is approaching quickly. Yeah, uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, November 2nd. Awesome. We might have some extra stuff to talk about at that bear, at that barroom party. What are we talking about? Look at all the compensation. I mean, we probably won't get uh, uh, much for him, but uh, undoubtedly by that time, there's going to be some teams who will be like, you know what? We could add a pass rusher and make some noise in the playoffs, maybe get to the Super Bowl with a player like Robert Quinn. You know, added, look, look what happened when the Bills added Von Miller mm -hmm. before the season, put him opposite Greg Rousseau. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you, you watch the, the Chiefs and Bills, man, I know people are saying, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes made some dumb decisions and stuff, but he did have a lot of guys in his face, including the, including one of the defensive tackles, his name escaped me, and Tredavious White covered his best, best receiver. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the Bills defense is, is pretty darn good, man. Uh, so uh, Robert Quinn is an obvious candidate. You think about, like, teams like – I mean – the what Rams. do you think about J2K's question here? Uh, are you okay with the six-round pick for Quinn? I would say no because I think you could probably get a fifth or fourth. See, the thing is, is that I was but, surprised that we got so little for Khalil Mack. Yeah. And, and uh, Quinn is not playing well this season. Did, what did we get for Mack? I can't we got remember. a, a uh, first-round and a, a fourth-round, I believe. A second-round and fourth-round, right? No, if it was a fourth. A fourth, I, I remember correctly. A second and fourth. Yeah. Well, was one one of them was uh, turned out 
turned into uh, uh, no, uh, no, it was a se- second rounder, uh, uh, Brisker, Jaquan Brisker turned into Brisker. That was Khalil Mack, right? Right, right. That was part of the Khalil Mack trade, correct? Right. Well, so I, uh, I don't think you know. I, 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 I was hoping that we we could get something like Von Miller got for the Broncos, which was a second and a third, but the yeah. way Quinn is playing is just not going to happen. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You're probably only going to get a, a fourth or a fifth. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think you could get a second for Robert Quinn, Juan. But I mean, I would would, would love it. But yeah, second and sixth is that? That's what we got for Mac. Okay, that's yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah. a second and a sixth round pick. Which second turned into Jaquan Brisker, I think, right? Right, which was Brisker in the sixth. Um, I'm not sure who that turned out for, or or. I'm actually thinking it was a 2023 six round. Right. Maybe not, but in any case, the the trade value for Robert Quinn is not going to be very high. It's not going to be. So who else do you right. have on your the, list? Some places that of uh, playoff teams that are desperate need a pass rusher are the Rams, the Titans, and and the Ravens. Right. You know right. whose defenses have slipped. You know, uh, those are some teams I think you could get. But I, th- I think uh, maybe maybe a fourth round pick next year and a fifth round pick, twenty twenty four, something like that, or sixth round pick, twenty twenty four, maybe something like that. We could we'd have to be happy with uh, another guy. Uh, I hate to say it, I know you're like he's playing good, but I mean Eddie Jackson could be a guy that we could get some value for. Although mm-hmm. I mean I don't know, he's age twenty eight. You know, he's not really a great tackle. I know he's fast. He's, you know, makes a big no, splash plays I, I, and stuff. I but, truly believe, uh, Tooch, that we could get a second-round draft pick. Yeah, I might be able to get uh, something for Eddie Jackson. I know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, uh, I know the, the chat room is probably going to kill me for this because they've come to love Eddie Jackson again. Hey, he's back. Yeah. You know, it's our guy. It's Bojax, right? I agree. I agree. You know, but uh, look, man, uh, I don't think uh, Eddie Jackson's going to make a difference on this team this year, you know, for us to get, you know, a to six six and a half wins, which is what initially we had thought, which you know where Vegas had it pegged, and fucking Ross Tucker said we wouldn't make three wins. That fucking mm-hmm. might be right, but you know, but uh, J2K says don't trade Bojack. Well, you I know, mean, you're, I'm, I'm you just know, I'm throwing him out there, not saying we're gonna trade. No, exactly. Saying, this is where the value lies, right? And trust know? me, the Bears are, are are having these very same discussions. Oh yeah. Absolutely, they're right. talking. They talked about it in this long week between the commanders and the, and the Patriots. They're evaluating every player and saying, "Hey, what can we get for Eddie Jackson?" I guarantee you, fucking saying it. Uh, and of course, you got to think about Roquan, who doesn't have a contract after this year. You know, you have to franchise him. You know, I know he's the NFL's leading tackle or whatever, but uh, I mean, he's always been a guy who has. You know, he doesn't really fight through blocks. He kind of runs around blocks and stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Roquan too, but I mean, I'm just looking at where value is, you know, we have to uh, start getting guys, uh, uh, you know, into uh, uh, getting younger players into there, which is what polls. I think you and I both think that was what polls wants to do is play, get acquire and play uh, younger players, you know? Mm -hmm. Indeed. And, and uh, again, as part of this exercise, and I don't want to uh, reveal too much because it's not uh, ready for the way I want to present things, but I did put together this graphic to show what the value is of uh, trading Eddie Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for it to load. Here it is. It's loaded. Uh, let's lose that comment on yeah, the screen. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. Oh, I just uh, <laughs> 
Eddie Jackson has got it. a cap hit in 2023 of, of 17 million, a little over 17 million next year. So if you trade him, you're going to retrieve seven and a half million dollars. So there still will be $10 million cap hit, but you yeah. will have seven and a half million dollars to add to younger players to yeah. uh, support what you're trying to do in this rebuild, which to me now is looking more like a, a, a three-year rebuild as yeah. opposed to a two-year re- rebuild. Uh, it's kind of like a teardown. <laughs> it really, really can I, is. Can I just say I love these graphics? It's like you knew what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I had no, I'm just like this thought. You know, it was like thoughts that I was, you know, had in my head. Then all of a sudden, there's already a fucking graphic. For it. <laughs> That's what I do all day. I I watch porn and do uh, football graphics. My wife is saying, "What are you doing? Are you watching porn or doing graphics? Because I need to, you to throw the garbage out." Given that I spend so much time on Pornhub, it's only appropriate that I have a porn mustache. <laughs> One of my greatest hundred proofs. <laughs> uh, it's true, though. I mean, I sit around thinking about this stuff, and then I want to visualize it for our audience. Uh, it's it's a, a curse and a cure for my yeah. anxiety. I mean, I, I, the idea of, trust me, Barflies, the idea of trading away three of our best defensive players and then watching some Bears football, it, it ain't in my book of things to top things I want to do. Yeah, it might make your life easier as a handicapper, right? (laughs) It might make a few bets down the road easier, but yeah, shit. I mean, well, uh, I mean, I'm just saying, like, look, this is where we are, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, although I have been Bears fans, all those since the 60s and Tooch from the 70s. Exactly. Like, we've seen a lot of this movie before. Yep. Yeah. So, Tooch, on your trade list, yeah. was Roquan on there? I'm assuming, of course. Yeah, Roquan Smith. Yep, some places uh, like where he could go. Uh, yeah, Atlanta could use some help. They've got their offense is looking pretty darn good, man, with uh, uh, Arthur Smith as coach. And uh, Cleveland, who has a decent offense, but their defense is kind of slipped. But they, they have a good defensive line. They could use some linebackers. Uh, maybe uh, the, uh, the Patriots. You know, could use uh, Roquan Smith. You know, that, that's what, a, a few teams that come to mind right off the bat. You know, uh, imagine the Patriots adding to that defense, adding Roquan to that defense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I hate to say this because the team still has an opportunity to win the wild card because the NFC is fucking yeah. awful. Just yep. for, I mean, they, it they is. Didn't have a There's chance. one team, one good team. Exactly. That's it. They even have a chance to win the yeah. NFC uh, North title. I mean, that's how bad this fucking uh, NFC yeah. is. Uh, so yep. I hate to think about you know trading away assets and so forth that could help you get through. And perhaps we, we I have seen it before where teams that were just really poor, all of a sudden things fucking click. And all of a sudden these rag muffin yeah. – you know, players start to play better and so forth. So it could happen. But is this at 2022 version of the Chicago Bears as good as the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills? Who's the one team that you had in the NFC that you said was good? 
the Eagles. Eagles, right? Yeah. And then after that, I think I'd say the the Vikings are the next best team, and that ain't saying much. Right. I, I would but, say actually the Cowboys, um, because yeah, the of Cowboys the, maybe they have a decent defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that a Cowboys Vikings game would be a pretty good matchup. You know, I agree. The I agree. Uh, the Vikings defense has not showed what it's capable of. I think that's kind of why people are underrating them. But when you have players like Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter mm-hmm. rushing, they haven't their pass rush for whatever reason has not come around. But when it does, the Vikings are going to be a little dangerous, man. I hope it's not against the Bears. When they I, find, I, their, well, when they I, find their pass rush, but, right? I mean, it doesn't matter you know? because the, the Vikings played the Bears in the seventeenth game. Uh, yeah, but I, I do agree with you, Tooch, that mm-hmm. the the Vikings are capable of being one of the best, if not the best NFC yeah. team. Uh, Eagles, first and foremost, number one. And I I, I do agree, Vikings and Cowboys are, are closely matched for yeah. number two. I, w- I would throw the Packers in there. I think they're just in a little bit of a slump. They still have some talent. Uh, I, I mean, who else is there besides the, the Packers? The Rams, the Buccaneers, I guess? Or 49ers. Yeah. I mean, the 49ers, like, I, I – I guess uh, uh, the 49ers have a great defense, and if the offense uh, comes around, that I, I'd agree with you on the 49ers. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's, tough, it's tough to rank the NFC right now, you know? It really other, is. Other than the Eagles. It really is, and you, you know? would know better than anybody else as a, yeah, it's as very a tough. professional yeah. handicapper. I had the I had the Niners' first half, and, you know, the the the, the Falcons punched him in the mouth, you know, but I mean, they – Arguably, they had like three or four guys out of the game from their defensive line, that w- that affected their defense, you know. So, but yeah, they're destroyed with injuries, like Juan says. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've never seen Juan here on the, in the chat room. I don't know if this is your first appearance, Juan. But I love uh, the name though, One Upper. One Upper, I love it. One Upper, uh, yeah. Welcome, Juan. Yeah. Uh, one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then you look at at the AFC. And uh, it's a little easier to rank teams in there, you know, because you've got uh, the Bills and Chiefs, arguably the two best teams, you know, and they just played. I mean, that that game could have gone either way. You know, it was a great game. Uh, And they'll probably be playing each other in the the AFC championship, you know. Mm -hmm. Schedule uh, works out. You know, as uh, as it is, both those teams are playing for the AFC championship. That'll be a pretty darn good game. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, there's not a lot of great AFC teams either. You know, I, I was talking with this. I was talking about this with I forget who I was talking with. I think it was Anthony. Uh, we're talking about how uh, the collective bargaining has kind of watered down the uh, quality of uh, NFL football for the most part because you already we, the, uh, the owners and players uh, negotiated to have one extra game uh, and one less preseason game. And then we've we've had a, a negotiation for um, less full contact practices, uh, less later start time for training camps, less less uh, practice time, you know, for the players and, and things like that. And that kind of, uh, I mean, this season at least, it seems like to, you watched the game last night with the Broncos and Chargers. Oh yeah, it was like man, it was ugly. Like you know, this two teams like the Chargers have a terrible defense and a really good offense, and uh, the, uh, the the Broncos are the exact opposite. They have a pretty damn good defense and a horrible offense. A lot of talent on offense. I thought like, sure, Russ Wilson he could put up some points on that crappy uh, Chargers defense, and Justin Herbert should be able to put some points up at home. 
and uh, they didn't, man. It was like a 19 to 16 overtime game with like nobody wanting to score a touchdown, you know. Uh, freaking uh, draft DraftKings had a bet, uh, from minus 800 to plus 100, Justin, uh, Justin Herbert over a half a touchdown pass. So, one, I, I took that, fucking I didn't I so I'm like, all right, I normally I never take those bets because. They're always like they're they're designed to fail, you know. But I'm like, he's gonna throw one fucking touch. I, I, oh my god! On. And he didn't. He didn't throw a single fucking. It was Chooch. just like incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. Chooch, I hate to say this, but I'm so glad <laughs> we died together on that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like twenty five dollar maximum bet, so you figure. Yeah, out, yeah, I twenty five bucks. Yeah, bucks. yeah. You know, no, no, <laughs> no. It was like you know. Yeah. I got my money back today with Aaron Savali under three and a half strikeouts. Good for you. So I was like, I, Aaron Savali wasn't going to pitch more than three innings, and he's not a strikeout pitcher. That was like fucking easy money, you know. <laughs> I don't know why they, they made a mistake there, and I got my money back. But uh, I'm telling you, man, this <laughs> fucking betting shit is driving me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am so I, I, glad I, 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 I have you I, and Anthony and yeah. and, uh, uh, and Sean Higgs and Sean Higgs on Saturdays on the weekend sports betting tips. You guys are really fucking fantastic. If you have it's a not, lot of fun, man, those two guys. I mean, yeah. even if you're not a better, just listen to these guys talk about football and talk about the game right. of uh, of handicapping and so forth. It's fascinating. It's a thirty minute. Oh man, I got some good stuff for next Saturday too. About these guys bank, are good. These guys bank are roll. And uh, wait till we start talking college basketball. If you like college basketball, man, you got to tune in. <laughs> I love college basketball, man. It's one of my favorite times of year when college basketball comes around. I love the purity of college basketball because it's not like the NBA where guys are just like, you know what? I know I'm already making, you know, $6 million a season. I think I'm going to sit this game out, you know. But the college kids don't ever say that, you know. They want to be out there and try and make, you know, you, playing like, you know, like you can't believe it. So, mm-hmm. uh that's why I love college basketball, and uh, yep, you know it seems it. a little easier to handicap for me as well. For the most part, you know, uh, college football and college basketball—you've yeah. got guys who are playing for the heart, yep. playing from the heart, and playing for a school. There's uh, there've been exceptions where people, where, where players have said, you know, I'm going to make a business this decision, and I'll play in this bowl game or what have you. But for the most part, one of the great things about college uh, football and basketball is the team spirit, and it's just fantastic, and it's a, yep. a, a great way to uh, wager as well. One of the things that I'm really, really fucking looking forward to on this Saturday, November yeah. 4th, when we all get together, is there's going to be yeah. tons of college football on the screens, and Tooch will be there. Yeah. He's told me he's going to be there. And I got to put you my guys. bets in the, the day before, though, you know? Well, you could do it that morning. Yeah. Why not? No, because uh, I can only bet when I'm in the state of Iowa. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yep. So unless the- I get an offshore book, I haven't made. The- Anthony's always bugging me. You got to get an offshore account. You can bet from anywhere. It's yeah. like yeah, maybe. But I mean, I love the DraftKings like power boosts and stuff. That's how, you know, I can kind of make a little extra. <laughs> you know, and it's not pay as much juice, but. Uh, I, I uh, I'll, I'll probably drive, you know, to Davenport and then leave in the morning and get there, you know, early. Like get there at noon, you know. Well, I, Davenport has a Portillo's. 
Oh, really? Yeah. That's Ooh. as close to Portillo's. That's the closest Portillo's to me is Davenport, Iowa. Oh, so my God. I haven't had Portillo's in quite a long time. So you grab a couple yeah. of hot dogs. I'm going to grab a hot dog and an Italian beef, probably. <laughs> uh, the second best hot dogs yeah. in the Chicago area are from Portillo's. And the number one are, uh, what's the name of the place? Jude. Is that and Gene Jude? and Jude's? Gene and Jude's. Yeah. On River Road in River Chicago. Road, yep. The absolute best. You bite into those fuckers and you hear that cracking noise. It's got this peppery taste yeah. to it. It's just mm. fantastic. They roll each hot dog with greasy fucking fries. It is the fucking best hot dog you can get in Chicago, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, There's just a great place. Chicago's a great place to get hot dogs. Yeah, yep. Portillo's yeah. up there. Uh, was well. the, I love the a picture of the original Portillo's hot dog stand. Oh. You know, Villa Park. It was just like a wagon. A <laughs> like little, a, a, little like a horse-drawn cart. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we could talk about that and a lot of other things. Uh, yeah. If, uh, if bar flies are coming in, we'll have to maybe make a trip to some of these spots. Yeah, that would be you know? fucking fantastic. That yeah. would be fucking fantastic. So uh circle it circle it on your calendar yeah. all the barflies that are listening on saturday november 5th uh, uh mike north has told me he will be there Tooch has told me he will be there of course he will be there i already the started Charlie. looking at hotels yeah uh we need we need you guys to be there just to reaffirm the fact yeah. that we're doing this for a fucking good reason i saw um <laughs> what is it one a hotel for 77 bucks a night it was a nice one too it was like a Windham Garden or something like that. Windham hotels are great bargain. Yeah. Yep. yeah, fucking a breakfast included. So kid, the girls can make uh, waffles. Oh, I love it. The waffle <laughs> machine, waffle maker. <laughs> All right, dude, <laughs> let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, what do you want? I forgot leave? to ask you about the uh, whether you thought about the quality of the NFL since the collective bargaining agreement. Whether it, it play had been a little bit watered down, you know. You know what? I got to tell you, I think that we are in a uh, a period where we're seeing football not at its best. And yeah. that happened before in my uh, six decades of watching professional football. Yeah. We would go into these periods. And right now we're seeing because of the collective bargaining, because of, of a lot of different issues, we're seeing watered down football. Yeah, we're exactly. a lot of mediocrity. We're seeing, they call it parody. I call yeah. it mediocrity. Yeah. Uh, there's only four or five really good NFL teams. The rest are, are awful fucking football teams. And unfortunately I got to put the Chicago bears into that. It's not a good time to be an NFL fan. If you're coming here from another planet and you want to watch some NFL football, I would say, hey, can you rewind and go back to 1985 and see the Chicago Bears and some of the great football from that era? Right now, it's not a good time. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a good toe. I mean, you don't have to convince me. I'm like, (laughs) we're right on the same page, man. Mm -hmm. We're talking about trading away Eddie Jackson and Roquan Smith. Oh, my God. That's where we are. Yeah, you know, and you and I can only pinpoint three good teams in the NFL. Maybe like a few other that are kind of pretty good, exactly. and then after that, it's a bunch of garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. It's uh, you know, it, it's a disappointment. I mean, I, I guess I was struck by how disappointing the season is. You look at teams like Carolina; they've already thrown in the towel, fired their coach, they traded away Robbie Anderson, as you know, pretty good wide receiver who uh, arguably temperamental, but uh, 
uh, talking about trading away Christian McCaffrey. I never thought I'd hear that. You know, I mean, oh that gosh, unbelievable. He's an amazing player, but that's where Carolina's at. You know, I mean, uh, teams are teams are kind of uh, the propensity is to play uh, for next season nowadays, Aldo. Uh, you know, but uh, St. Omni's, by the way, reminds us that you can yeah. rent hotels. He had to go there. He had to, <laughs> <laughs> he had to go there. You know, I don't want to say anything. You know, St. Omni has lived a, a wonderful, fulfilled uh, life. So, uh, yeah, comparing some of that wisdom. <laughs> I was, uh, I know, I know you're, you're probably, and the Smashing Pumpkins are playing and stuff, and Aldo hasn't made up his mind, but I was like, Take uh take Mrs. Tooch. Midas from the Philippines. She's never seen a rock concert. Really? Yeah. I was like, I think she might be blown away. You know, I wonder what well, she would think of like seeing a rock concert. You know, here's the thing: is uh, Mr. Shorty bought yeah. three tickets uh, okay. to that concert, uh, several rows behind the ones that Tooch, uh, excuse sure. me, that uh, Dan bought, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could. We should all get on a conference call and talk about you know how we could make. <laughs> I'd have to stay with the kids. My love of Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I saw the Smashing Pumpkins when they were nothing. Uh, I saw them at the Lounge Jacks. You ever heard of Lounge Jacks? No, I it was. Uh, it was on Lincoln Avenue around Fullerton, and uh, maybe Diversity somewhere around there. But it was like uh, hmm. lounge, lounge, and then AX for like it was a guitar. You know. Sounds it's familiar, like, but I've I've never been there. That's yeah, cool. and uh, they were number two on the on the bill. They 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 were the headliner was a band called Bigfoot Sex Slave. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, they were awful. But, you know, I kind of went there because I'd heard Smashing Pumpkins was kind of cool, and I went there and I was like Billy Corrigan there. He was like I stood probably ten feet from Billy. You know, and he had his little pedal. You know, and uh, I was like these guys aren't that good. You know, then later on, they got their, you know, they're better. They figured it out and stuff and became, you know, put out some really great albums, man. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, be something to see. Him. I, I saw him again years later, I think, with the Chili Peppers and Nirvana. That was a great you know, show. I, I really would love to see this concert. I, I'm a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Yeah. I, I like some of the stuff that Jane's Addiction has done. But it's like, you know, is that I, who I'm else hoping, is playing, right? Jane's yeah, addiction. They're the opening act. But I seen I'm them hoping. when they were nobody too, man. In yeah. college. I was in college and they, you know, we were, man, we it was a big ballroom uh at the top of this like health club in Milwaukee where I went to college. Mm-hmm. And uh before and after the show, we were playing frisbee in there, man. <laughs> it was like <laughs> fucking throwing that Jane's addiction come out. I think the album was called Nothing Shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh it was one their, their breakout album. You know, and uh, I was right in front of the stage for that one too. Pretty cool. Yeah, uh, you know, but the part of the thing that you know I got to consider is I'm going to be hosting this event th- earlier that day, and uh, and then I'm going to be going to the Bears game the next day. You know, I'm an old fucking fuck, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, you know, my wife. My wife was telling me, I don't think you should go. You're going to be fucking wasted the entire week. And yep. stuff. So yeah. all I want to do right now is uh, go to that Bears-Dolphins game and, 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 and hope and pray that we witness a victory, but also uh, be a, a really good uh, host for this event that yeah. we're holding. Can't wait. On, on November 5th. It's going to be. We, uh, it's it's uh, 
it's kind of hard keeping the secret that when you get to be all those in my age, that uh, you're hunting for nap spots in the <laughs> afternoon and shit. And that's like pleasure. That's right. <laughs> Mike North called me the other day uh, mid afternoon. And uh, when, when I woke up, I said, Oh, Mike North called two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're just like, Man, when can I fit that nap in? Oh, Jeez. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. The Eagle Ballroom, man. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. it was. And I agree yeah. with Cliff that there it is, man. Uh, good drugs will uh, keep you up. Um, yep. The Eagles that. Club. Yeah, yeah but, that was but the you know what? You know, um, too many good drugs can also be a problem, Cliff, as I've learned. <laughs> Who was that? Was that Mo? Yeah, it was Mo uh, Beerman. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he must know. Uh, he must know his way around Milwaukee. Oh, is he from Milwaukee? I don't know. Uh, Mo Beerman, where are you from? And are you going to attend our event on Saturday, November? Is, uh, although you haven't been up in Milwaukee way. Uh, I've spent a lot of great times in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, my great God. town. A lot of great times. Yeah. Let me tell you a real quick funny story. I, I got a story. There. I got a funny story for you, too. Go okay. <laughs> I went there uh, in my – I was 19 years old, and, and there was a mime – festival happening in milwaukee i was hired to videotape it and so forth and that night i ended up fucking a mime <laughs> damn wow it was a female right <laughs> i i can't, I can't tell to this i'm not sure <laughs> yeah um i yeah i went to school at marquette you know and it was uh kind of on the near west side uh of the city and uh, I, I used to hang out with a bunch of, uh, of my classmates. And uh, I think like four of them had rented a house uh, around 24th and Kilbourne. And it was called the Corey House because of all the pot. They used to call pot. It was like code name was Corey for weed. <laughs> so it was called the Corey House. You could go there and cool. buy some weed. You know? it was like, and they would have these great parties. You know, I would go out with some of the guys who want to you know, drive, pick up the keg, throw it in the back of my van and bring it back to the party for the weekend and stuff. And uh uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was at one of the, our parties back then because he was doing his thing when I was going to college there. and some of my friends had to kick him out because he was too fucking weird. So, <laughs> like later on, they were like, you know, that was the dude that killed all those people. You know, I was like, oh my God. Weird, man. But yeah, it was, he came to one of the parties, wandered in, that you know, wild. probably looking for young men, you know, now that you can watch the Netflix series, you know. That's been really popular then yeah very popular uh, yeah Jeffrey Dahmer series and by yeah. the way did you ever hear my story about John Wayne Gacy uh chasing no him? no <laughs> I was uh we've both been chased by serial killers yes <laughs> exactly 17 years old I uh walked I didn't have a car at the time I walked my girlfriend home and then as I'm walking back home down North Avenue somebody in a Cadillac uh, pulls up and stops in the middle of the streets and just stares at me. Damn. And I'm think, and then he pulls off, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I gonna do? He makes a fucking U-turn, and when he made that U-turn, I knew I had to fucking run. So I go <laughs> down. Right. The, I, I I go down. It was Maplewood Avenue, North Avenue, Maplewood yeah. Avenue, and there's an alley parallel to North Avenue, and I'm looking. And there he is. He's fucking searching for me. Where are you, fucker? Where are is you? Is he wearing the clown suit? He was not wearing the clown okay. suit. And I, of course, at the time, like, he lived in Norwich. Right. Well, yeah. 
at, at the time, I didn't know it was John Wayne Gacy. Nobody right. knew that John Wayne Gacy was uh, a serial killer at the time or who he was or whatever. And so years later, as I'm watching a documentary and they detailed what car he drove, yeah. where he was working. He was working at a uh, doing some construction work on uh, Rush Street near North Avenue. Um, I, I just put it together. That motherfucker that chased me that night was John yeah. Wayne Gacy. I, I, I would swear on a stack of Bibles that was the same fucking wow. guy. Because a lot of my relatives lived in Norwich and Harwood Heights and, you know, kind of Little Italy, Harlem Avenue over there. You know, a lot of Santucci's right. lived over there. You know, it's like fucking, you, get, you get, can't throw a stone without hitting the Santucci over there. <laughs> you know, it's a Harwood Heights, Norwich, and uh, Little Italy, Harlem Avenue over there. But yeah. Swanky's you know, laughing I, at me, and I'm like, Swanky, I could have been fucked in the ass and, and killed. What are you laughing at? You know, uh, did you ever visit the hip back in the day, Harlem Irving? Oh, my Plaza? gosh, Harlem Irving Plaza? <laughs> of course. Right. My wife grew up around there, too. Yeah, okay. So she uh, that's like Norwich, Harwood Heights. Right oh, there, my man. gosh. And when I went to so many movies at the Norwich Theater. It was, yeah. Uh, yep, me too. So much fucking fun to go there in a movie theater, and you're fucking yeah. rocking uh, on chairs back then and drinking beer. We were yeah. always sneaking beer and wine and what what have you. Yeah, it was like Foster there. Avenue in Harlem, I think. Right? Yes, just, yeah, exactly, right in that area there. So, uh, great, great fucking fun. But uh, yeah, it's being chased by John Wayne Gacy <laughs> uh, as a uh, seven. Did you, uh, did you catch up on Hot D? The Hot House D. of the Dragon. Oh, the last, really? the last episode was the fucking best episode, man. It was so fucking good. I, I can't. The ending was killer, dude. I cannot put it any better than you just did, too. <laughs> that was fucking fantastic. Yeah, it was great, man. It was like an hour and a half long, too. But it was like you're always like, oh shit, what's gonna happen, you know? Yes, and, and nice. as good as any of the Game of Thrones episode. Yeah, really for sure. Fucking good. Really for sure. Good. I told my wife, I'm like, look. The second to last episode is usually the best one. Like the, the tenth, the last episode really isn't that good. You know, it's like usually like a denouement. It's like, you know, kind of ramping down for next season, you know, like you yeah. gotta watch this one, you know. Yes, but, yeah. very, very well put, uh, yeah. Tooch. Uh, you're absolutely right. Usually, and I didn't anticipate yeah. that going in because I didn't think well, this was the next to last episode, but it really was a, a tremendous episode. Yeah. With, and, and Dan Aguirre, who will not watch the Game of Thrones or, or House of yeah. Dragons just simply because of the period that yeah. they're in. I, I fantasy. Really, he doesn't like fantasy. He doesn't like yeah. that. I really wish he would consider. Unless it involves consider, big hairy bushes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Something he fantasizes about every night. But I, I really do wish he would reconsider because it's the storylines transcend yeah. the period. I think yep. we talked about this last week. It, it, it it's, it's like the mafia. It's like, you know, family drama. It's like anything else. It is so fucking well done. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, I forgot what else I'd well, I watched uh, uh, the Halloween, the ha Halloween ends that came out on Peacock. What'd you think? You know, I I uh, I thought uh, it wasn't as good as the previous one, mm -hmm. but I I mean I I love the the i the ideas that they were throwing at us, mm -hmm. you know, with uh because uh, I thought I thought the storyline was really good. I don't know if they pulled it off quite, you know, as as good as it could have been, you know. With mm -hmm. uh, the story of the of the young kid, you know, who's got this darknessism because of an accident that happened when he was babysitting, you know, mm -hmm. all, all of that, and then 
you know, the Michael Myers legend and, and the ending of finally putting everything to rest and stuff, which I mean, I can't say I didn't like the movie because I, I, I watched it entirely through, but uh, I don't think it was as scary as the previous one. Maybe that's just me. But. Oh, Beerman is asking that he'll bite, he'll watch House of Dragons, but uh, you don't have to watch, to watch Game of Thrones. To I agree. Yeah, I 100% agree. In yeah. fact, it's a prequel, Mo. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of chronological uh, storytelling, I mean, telling, uh, it doesn't matter. Swanky says, oh, no, Aldo, I was laughing earlier when you said you were fucking something like a nun. <laughs> you said, yeah, you know, I, uh, yeah. I've i got a sordid back. I, uh, <laughs> I, I like that, that last episode of House of the Dragon, man. The, the Hightower family, they really made their move, you know, it's like. Yeah. It was like, oh, what did you say on your deathbed? I should be, you know, and he was talking about, you know, Aegon the Conqueror, who was years before, mm-hmm. you know, not talking about his son, you know, mm-hmm. the the jerk off, the lush, you know, the the one who didn't want to be king, you know, yeah. the oldest of his sons, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, the second son uh, with the eye patch is more of a badass. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it I'll do that to you. Okay? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, I've got a movie that I'm going to recommend with some caveats. Uh, this is a movie you've all seen before. If you've seen Independence Day, if you've seen any science fiction movie, yeah. Moonfall oh, yeah, yeah. is an exact replica of these movies. And, and yeah. by the way, one of the stars on it is the guy who was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah, he was. You saw the movie? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, I thought it was good too. It. Yeah, it was good. My wife and I saw this, and I told her, "Well, let's not have high expectations for this." And we didn't, but we enjoyed the fuck out of this yeah. movie. It was fun. Halle Berry, always good to look at, right? Oh my gosh, is it possible that a woman her She's age looks as beautiful oh. as she does? Man, I don't know how. I, I don't know how. My, my yeah. wife says it's because African-American women don't age well. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I've seen some wrinkles on some African-American women. She goes, not the Halle Berry type of African-American yeah. women. I go, okay, whatever. She looks fucking hot, I'll tell you that. And she yeah. is really hot, and the movie is pretty damn good. <laughs> Stephen Me, he Stephen Me hates everything. <laughs> it's got to be like fucking you have to, uh, to watch a, a, a movie that Stephen Me enjoys. You have to have like a degree in physics. Yeah, I guess so. That, that must be it. <laughs> physics and fucking calculus, and then come on, Stephen. If you're if you're gonna be fucking you know jerking off while watching a movie, Moonfall isn't good. I'm not, I'm not saying it's it's fucking Ingmar Bergman or. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick or any of the master filmmakers, yeah. but uh, it's good escapist popcorn yeah. film. You, you can like a movie that's just a movie that's for fun, you know. Aldo and I will let you know when it's a fucking classic, dude. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly, exactly. No, it, it, it was it was a a, a a diversion. My wife and I sat down to watch a movie, and she goes, "I don't want to watch anything deep." And I said, "I can't." I think I know the right movie. I played Moonfall, and within five ten minutes, she was hooked. We we do at our house. We do the ten minute test. If the yeah. movie doesn't grab you in ten minutes, my wife yeah. and I do the same thing. We ain't got time. We're old. Exactly. That's the <laughs> way to do it. That's the way to go. I mean, yeah, guilty geez. pleasures, Matthew. Thank you. Well, exactly. What a, well, yep. uh, well, oh, well put. Um, yeah, if there's some sex in it and a couple tits, and even better, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. I do have a show that I think you and your wife will like, though. Okay. 
Uh, it stars uh, Charlie Hunnam. Do you know who Charlie Hunnam is? Yeah, from uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Sons, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Right, and uh, it's called Shantaram. It's really good, man. It's on uh, Apple TV. Okay. And uh, it's a series. I think there's eight, maybe ten episodes. And uh, it's about a dude who uh, he was in prison in Australia, and uh, like uh, for, he he had been uh, you know doing drugs and robbing, you know, and uh, apparently, as you learn told you know uh through flashbacks uh a police officer was killed in one of the things where he was arrested he didn't give up the other people involved in the crime you know he did his time he ends up escaping from the prison in the first episode i mean i'm not spoiling anything he and he he, uh flees the country his uh his father and his mother are separated his dad's like a university professor and uh gives him some money he goes to india you know, Bombay and like falls in with this crowd of uh, expatriates. And, uh, you know, of course, it's, it's kind of more of the same there where the police are corrupt. You know, people are corrupt. Uh, and uh, I'm enjoying it so far, man. It's uh, it's good. He's posing as a New Zealand citizen, you know, with a fake identity and stuff. And he, uh, he worked as an ambulance uh, driver and uh, knows some stuff about uh, helping people who are trauma you know, uh, injuries and stuff, but it's really good, man. I'm enjoying it. Uh, so far it's kind of has that crime element and he's on the run. There's some hot chicks, uh, it takes place in India. And he's like, there's a guy who meets him at the airport, uh, an Indian dude. His name is Prabhu. He's really funny. What's you the know? name of this again? It's, it's called Shantaram. It's on Apple. It's like supposedly their next big TV show. My wife and I were like, yeah, there's nothing else. And we were like, this is really good, man. It's, it's about the, uh, it's high quality like a movie. It's a TV show, but it's like as high quality as a feature film. Yeah, like right. Each episode. Which is what you want. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So, so yeah, I will it. definitely look for that. So and I got one more for you before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually not recommending it. I, I saw a movie uh, by the name of X. And, of course, any yeah. feature film that is about pornography, I want yeah. to <laughs> I've heard about it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was disappointed. And okay. it, it's basically the, the, the premise is, is that uh, six people get together. This is back in the uh, 1970s is the era that the video cassette business is taking over the porn business. And so that guy on the right there on the screen, the guy with the uh, cowboy hat, he mm-hmm. said, I, you know, Porno is going to be huge. We're going to make millions. And so they rent a farm uh, to shoot a porno movie in. But unfortunately, the inhabitants of this uh, farm are uh, one older guy who likes to carry around a shotgun and his wife, who is equally the same age, but she's a horny bitch and wants these pornographers to fuck the shit out of her. And if they don't think she's going to rule the wrath of God on them. So um, it is, it is worth watching because there's some, actually some very good performances on this, in this film, Uh, some young actors and some veteran actors. So from that standpoint, it is kind of a good goof of a movie, but overall, uh, there was just so many implausibilities in the film and so many tropes from the horror movie uh, genre that I, I felt like, you know, uh, this could have been a hell of a lot better. But I'll tell you one thing. The critics love this movie for yeah, some reason. I think Dan Aguirre mentioned this movie to me, I think. Did he? I, I, yeah. I not heard him talk about it. I, I was disappointed with it, but maybe you guys will like it. So. 
it is what it is. It's called X. I saw it on Showtime, uh, and uh, there are some good parts. On Showtime, about okay. It. Yeah, I do have I, Showtime. Yeah, are some good things about it. So, uh, uh, buyer beware is what I say. Nice. All right, two. Any last words that you have before we uh, head out of here? I uh, hope to see the bar flies, man, uh, uh, coming in for uh, the get together on uh, uh, November fifth. I think is it fifth? November fifth. Saturday, November fifth. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the next day, the Bears play the Dolphins. That's right. right. That's right. So noon at Soldier Field. Mm -hmm. We'll right. have a lot more information on that uh, over the next few days. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Barroom Network, or go to Facebook Barroom Network. Or uh, just subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of our shows in the coming days will have a commercial with all the details. Mm -hmm. and you can always reach out to me, uh, Aldo, at Barroom Network. If you want some more information, I'll be happy to interact with you to get you, yep. uh, hopefully get you out there so that we can meet you and have some laughs and, and share a beer. Yeah, that'll be fun, man. And uh, uh, don't forget to check out all the great shows here, man. Uh Got uh, uh, fantasy football goon, which I filled in nice uh, Joe Mandel on Sunday. I hope uh, you become a regular on that show, Tooch, because you're so fucking good on that, and you that love fantasy football. Yeah. Joe and Adam are really good, you know, and uh, I, I, I love uh, Adam's accent. He's kind of like an Aaron Current. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Me and him will talk about Oklahoma. My uh, I went to Oklahoma a couple years ago. Just hung out for driving passing through hung out for a day or two down there and uh uh me and he and i have a good good little chat <laughs> stuff and uh, uh he, he he lives like about 30 minutes from where i was staying oh the, wow look so at that had Small a good uh, chat and then we got weekend sports betting tips with anthony and sean and me exactly. we'll be talking all of the college football action this weekend <laughs> man answering all the questions right. and then uh uh to barfly tailgate and after the bears on monday night i don't know all those uh uh, it'll have uh, the after show. Yeah, after game. we will have uh, bare football right after yep. the show and during halftime. We'll give our halftime report. Uh, yeah. So we've got some great programming on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Uh, make sure you uh, uh, stay on tap. But, but really, what I want everyone to do is to tune in to the weekend sports betting tips with yeah. Coach and his two guys because really, it's a 30 minute show and you will be so thoroughly entertained by these guys. They do a fucking fantastic. If I uh, like, if I know, like Anthony and Sean will give you a play that they, I, I, unfortunately, I haven't been. There hasn't been a game where I know that the team's going to win. But yesterday, I had two games where I knew that they were the teams are going to win. One was the New York Rangers over the Anaheim mm -hmm. Ducks. I knew that that was a winner. Mm -hmm. You know, so I placed placed a, a decent sized bet on. And then uh, my soccer team in in the Spanish league, Villarreal. I knew that was a winner against the team. That they played, I knew that they weren't going to lose. They're at home, you know. They've been on a roll, and I uh, knew that game. And then after that, I was like, I had no fucking idea. <laughs> you know, it's like I pick, I outthink myself all the time, you know. And uh, Anthony and Sean and I talk about it all the time about how you, you know you can't. Uh, if you listen to someone like Sean, he'll tell you, look, man, look at where all the money's going, and the line's not moving, or the line's going the wrong way. Then you know pretty much where to place your bet. And Anthony and, and I come sometimes say, man. And I wish I, I didn't want to ask uh, Ben. Was that his name, Ben? Yeah. Like, uh, 
how often do the refs get a call from from uh, the Vegas guys upstairs? Hey. <laughs> ah, no public. I was waiting for you to ask that. No public got like a ten million on it, you know. And stuff. <laughs> I, I really- know. <laughs> I know. I should have uh, asked him, but uh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't think he would. He would like that. But yeah, sometimes I mean, you think you know, all the money's in one place. And like, like all the money was on Alabama. Man, you had to take Tennessee. You know, exactly. <laughs> I, I, want, I, I won a few bucks on that one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anthony, that was his free play, man. He was like, "Yeah, play Tennessee plus nine and a half." Oh, you know, gosh. I was actually at uh, the gambling casino um, uh, at, in Rosemont watching that game as my wife yeah. was uh, hitting the tables and so forth, and I'm watching yeah. that Alabama Tennessee game, and I'm saying, "Man, I'm going to win some money." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah and, and Tennessee didn't even have Cedric Tillman in that game. Yeah, how about if they would have had Cedric Tillman? It would have been even a worse beating. But I mean, you got to think, uh, Nick Saban coming off a loss this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's kind of a position you might want to uh, think about when you're playing the Alabama yeah. uh, the, or when you're, when you're looking at playing Alabama this weekend, but indeed. Yeah. All right, Tooch, uh, yep. let's uh, pull the plug on this one. Right. It will be Bardon Hockey Talk tomorrow at uh, 2 yeah. p.m. Central. Can't and wait then. to see Vinny Parisi again on the 5th. Those guys, yes. Yeah, my Hanover Park uh, Little League friend. Yeah. And Buffon 55 at 7 p.m. And I believe Science Fiction at 9 p.m. I think they've got a new fresh episode for us. So for Johnny Santucci, Dan Aguirre, and myself, this has been Dan and all the Bear Their Souls. Thank you all for joining us live. And those of you watching On Demand, thank you very much. Take care now. for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down.